0: Get it going. It's time to get up.
1: Miller with it at the left side of the line. Comes to the faceoff circle. Drops it down low to Horvat who scores! Quick one-touch passing.
2: These guys are here to break it all down. We haven't won the, as many games as we've liked in this last little stretch. But, uh, you know, a lot. there's going to be times where you're playing good teams every night. You know Calgary's got a say in how, what you do as well. There's no vaccine for these guys.
0: It's game day! This is the starting lineup. Here's James Sabolsky and Perry Solkowski. Rise and shine,
3: Metro Vancouver. It is Wednesday, February 17th. It's hump day already. These are the perks of the short week. If only we could have more four-day work weeks. We should talk to the boss about that. What do you say, fair?
4: Well, you speak to the audience, right? You and I were here on Monday. I had to chuckle, Travis Green. If you fall into the mode that you always have in answering questions, you know, there's uh, some days we're going to play some pretty good teams most nights. No, no, every night you play a good team. Welcome to the Canadian Division. No off nights. Although I woke up this morning, buddy, and I don't know why. Like, I'm always excited on a game day, but I'm tired of Calgary. Like, I want them to play someone else. Get this game over with, bring on Friday, bring on the Jets. I'm tired of Calgary.
3: Do you say that during the playoffs, doing a seven-game series?
4: No, because mentally I'm exhausted and prepared for the playoffs. But this is too much of a grind. We were two weeks into the season, and we're looking at standings. So I do think, and we talked about it with Bert, the mental component of this to just go, here we go, here we go again, is, is tough.
3: Rise and shine, what's going on? It is game day once again, uh, as Perry mentioned, who is sick and tired of the Calgary Flames. That's Perry Solkowski. I'm James Cebulski. Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass. Uh, this is the starting lineup here on your Home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 got a clean sheet of ice for the Canucks uh, as they have lost seven of their last eight games. Uh, lots to get to over the next uh, three hours here on the show. Your Canucks commute coming up uh, at eight o'clock. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll talk to. Uh, we'll head to Calgary and uh, check in with Haley Sylvan from the Athletic uh, who covers the Calgary Flames. Uh, also, Seaball um, says coming your way a little earlier this morning than uh, than normal uh, because uh, Jovanovski Those of you who are looking for. Eddie had something come up today So Eddie will not join us at 7 o'clock As he normally does uh, So, yeah, there you go We're off to a wonderful start this morning <laughs>
4: it's, it's, The last 15 minutes I've been like, huh? What's going on? Oh, everything's flying in all over the place Some technical issues uh, But the fact is, game day You know what though? When you just uh, say casually Grogs have lost 7 out of the last 8 That hurts I go, yeah. yeah, I think you try and get in, we'll hear from Travis Green, you you try and pick apart the positives, right, and there have been a lot of positives, we talked about, you know, if you go the amount of periods they've played Calgary, they've been the better team for the majority of it, but the fact is, and the standings don't lie, seven of their last eight, man, and uh, as short and as quick as the trip is, you gotta, you gotta pocket two points and come back and still have some confidence, which, I was surprised in listening to them yesterday. You just get the sense they do believe. There's a, you know, The way they talk, Pedersen, Hughes, they believe they're a better team as they got on that plane yesterday.
3: Well, they've played well for the last four games, right? And this is the one thing that if you're looking for a trend, the encouraging sign is that this team has probably dictated the tempo and the pace of games for essentially four straight now, right? You go back to the game last Monday against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, you know, There they were. The better team through 40 minutes, and then the Leafs kind of flip the switch, and boom, Leafs uh, Leafs go on to, to beat the Canucks. Um, but I guess if you're looking for a moral win at the, for something during the, the Canucks' struggles, I think you find that. Then you look at the game against the Flames, the first game. Canucks were the better team. Jacob Markstrom, the difference in that one, and the Flames win that one. And then the Canucks finally – they scratch and they claw and they finally deliver a win last Saturday. So they're the better team in three straight. And I think it was probably more of an evenly matched game back on Monday night pair, but the Canucks played well. That was a winnable game for them that they allowed to get away. They made three glaring mistakes – and it ultimately costs them the game. And for a team that's struggling right now, three glaring mistakes is all it takes for a team to kind of beat a team that's reeling. So if you want to find the moral victory, that's it. But, man, like we're kind of running out of time for the pats on the back, right? You know, you pick up a point. If you pick up a point, though, tonight, or or you win tonight against the Flames, that's five points and eight in that series against Calgary, right? But I don't think you can allow Calgary to get a point. You know, I think you can salvage this series if you win this tonight, but it's also one of those, like, you can't allow the Flames to pick up a loser point here. So that's how I kind of see things playing out with, we kind of went into this series thinking the Canucks need to win three or four to have a shot to get back into this thing. Obviously, that's not happening. But if you pick up five out of eight points in the four game set with the Flames and limit them, right? I mean Calgary's already got four points in this series. They've got four out of six points. Like Calgary shouldn't have won that game the other night. You're at home, you're up two nothing, you gotta close out that first period, take care of business, you know. Vertanen clears that puck at the end of the first period out of his own end, hangs on to it for too long, and Calgary gets back into it, right? There's a major difference in that game, right? Calgary has life at the end of the first. Now, all of a sudden, they've got something going to get into the second period. Captain Bo Horvat, I'll tell you what, there's a guy who needs to step up his game. I get that he scored. He also scored on a five-on-three. But I want to see more out of Captain Bo Horvat. I've been saying this for a while now. Horvat needs to find his game. That is not the Bo Scorvat that everybody was loving last summer, Right? We don't see that, that next-level sort of bull rush from the captain this year. But there's a leader. There's a guy you rely on. You need more out of the captain. You need more out of Elias Pettersson, too, for that matter. Pettersson's got to be better. Let's kind of get into some of this here. And, uh, and Perry, are you still there?
4: Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, I am. Sorry, we had a technical issue there. Yeah, You need more from everybody, James. And it's okay to play that card The last week in a sense, but it it doesn't make any logic when you look at the standings to say that this team has to go two of three in three game sets for the next month, which is essentially what they have to do. That's fact, and I think the players are starting to know that Travis slowly hinting to it like it's it's nice to say we're playing better and a lot of people saying you have to play better before you start to win. But as you said, we started this conversation by simply going they have lost seven of their last eight not good enough. Not good enough. And for Travis to say, you know, sometimes there's no easy games. No, there are no easy games, Travis. San Jose's not popping up on this schedule, nor is Anaheim. You've got Calgary and then Winnipeg and Edmonton. But the good thing is, James, and the one thing that could be the saving grace, if you do get in a role on the right time, you're beating everybody you have to catch. How often have we talked about a hockey team chasing a playoff spot going, the difficulty is, you know, the teams they're chasing, they only play them one more time. No, you got those guys about 30 times still so you need to get on that run you need to say they've won seven of their last eight starting at a time when it's going to be winnipeg calgary and edmonton and then they're back in the mix but to play hockey games to pick up the odd point uh, to be good one every two games that that's the season and the playoff hopes uh they'll be done by the middle of march
3: Oh, you're a third into the season now, right? You've played 19 games, right? You have a pretty good inkling of what this team is, and there are a lot of flaws on this roster, unfortunately. I mean, for all the optimism that you had been left with after coming up short in Game 7 against the Vegas Golden Knights, one game away from reaching the conference final, um, there's a lot of flaws. This is not the same band that we loved rocking out to, raising the devil horns to last year, right? You lost an all-star goaltender. Goaltending's, you know, goaltending isn't the biggest reason why they're not winning games, but goaltending also won them a lot of games last year. Pair goaltending's not winning them a lot of games this year.
4: Fair? Masked, they masked it masked a lot of deficiencies. Hundred percent. As simple as that, right? It masked a lot of deficiencies, and they were exposed in the first month. But defensively, in front of them, they were poor. They were a better defensive team when they got to the bubble. They did some things, and they were better because, it, you know, it was Thatcher Demko, and, and, you know, we can remember in that Minnesota series, I remember a conversation we had, and, and Corey Hirsch had joined us and said, let's be honest. They've won some hockey games, and Markstrom hasn't been great yet in the playoffs. He'll steal them a game or two, in which he did. But they played better defensively. They, they were so erratic for the first month. Yeah, they fixed that, but you dug the hole. You dug the hole, and and to to throw that rope and save you and allow you to climb out of it, it can't just be we're playing better hockey games, and we're the better team in two of the three periods, and we leave with nothing. So that attitude has to change. Like, yeah, we're getting better. Unless, Unless it's the long vision. We often said one step back to go two steps forward, and this could be that step back. Because I'll say this, and it just makes sense. The level of competition will not be this good next year. So if you're making all your mistakes now, if you're ironing out your problems now, things will be easier to get into the postseason next year. But deal with the here and now. You've got to be better.
3: 650-650 is our Dunbar Lumber text line. Always open for business at Sportsnet. 650 is where you can also always find us on Twitter and Instagram as well. Here's Travis Green on kind of the task at hand going into this Flame series. Uh, the final of four games, much to Perry's relief. But the fact is, they need points. They need to get back into this series or get in back into this North Division race. And Travis Green trying to say in the big picture, can't look too far ahead here.
2: I think it's important that we don't get too far ahead of ourselves and just look at a bunch of games down the road. You know, I, I truly believe that. And no matter where you're at in the season, you can't look too far ahead for us. It's just getting ready to play the next game, um, making sure that our, our game is solid. You know, and just repeating the process over and over, and and hopefully at the end of the month we've m- made up some ground. I think you run into problems if you start um, looking too far ahead too early in the year.
3: So there's Travis Green just trying to focus one game at a time, right? And that's all this team can really do right now. It sounds so cliche. We need to we need to ring the cliche bell, but at, at this stage, you know, you can't you can't overwhelm yourself with the thought that man, we need ten points here in the next six games, or or however you want to play that out.
4: But-, but, James, is is it early in the year? Like no, it's said, not, he's third, man. He's no. a third of the way through the season. It may seem like it, but, no, you're a third of the way of the season. This is like game 27 of the NHL regular season, if everything was normal. You're, you're already into it uh-huh. for three months. Uh, so I think that's part of it. You know, last year I just said you got to give an asterisk to whoever's going to win the Stanley Cup because of what they had to endure in the bubble. I don't know if this is any different this year because you had that bad slump. I don't know if you can get out of it and, and who knows what you, what's going on. I mean, the New Jersey Devils played their 10th game yesterday. You know, the Canucks are going to play their 20th. It's crazy that teams in the NHL and games postponed because weather now in Dallas yesterday that it's that askew that some can play so much hockey and others so little and yet they'll, they're still going after the same thing. But Travis Green's almost out get, get to that mentality. You know, it's too early in the game. No, it's not. You're a third of the way through. It's, you know, you're almost halfway through. It's not early anymore. There's got to be more urgency than just, you know, the process we're playing better.
3: Uh, absolutely. No, you've got to be better than what you've seen. Um, you know, the power play... You've got to capitalize. It's not as dynamic as it was. Hey, look, it was a top five unit last year. That's not the case now. Here's Quinn Hughes on trying to get a pulse of what these scuffles are here on the man advantage.
5: You know, we got a lot of good players on the unit, and I think everyone's confident, and
4: we know what to do. And obviously, last game would have been nice to capitalize on one of those power plays and help the team. But um you know, sometimes it just doesn't go like that. And uh, for us, I think we're staying confident. And, you know, we definitely have the talent to to get back to where we were last year, and I think that's what we're trying to do. And it's also harder this year with just, you know, playing a team four times in a row. They're going to make adjustments, and we're just going to have to do that too.
3: See, that's why. That's why you're tired of the Flames, right? Because teams have made adjustments against the home team. That's why the Canucks are struggling. You don't like all these, you know, return legs.
4: know I'm sick of Calgary. No, I'm tired of it. But that's, that's fact, isn't it? Uh, you know, I remember before the schedule came out, you and I are going, you know, the back-to-backs will be fun. It'll make sense. And I think we discussed, I wonder if there's going to be nights where they play three, you know, three in a row. Lord knows. I mean, because of the situation, St. Louis, Arizona, just played each other six times in a row. Uh, you know what? I don't know. I, I can handle three. The fourth game I kind of get tired of. I know you're in a different rank, It'll be different. But I believe that's part of it, you know, the ability to know how to make the adjustments. Maybe there should be more heat on the coaching staff the subtle tweaks what have you done because you know they they figure it out and okay here's how they they look for the drop pass let what else we can do see how quickly you can make those adjustments and that's a that's a challenge i think and that's an advantage to teams who have a little more experience than the youth that are built around the canucks
3: the lotto line And this is where it's complicated. J.T. Miller has become everybody's whipping boy in terms of why this team is struggling. It feels like the the default answer for everybody is J.T. Miller. J.T. Miller's the problem, right? And if you look at his Corsi numbers, like his Corsi numbers are 7% lower than what they were last season, which means they're chasing the puck that much more than they were last year, or at least when J.T. Miller's on the ice. And when he's on the ice, offensive zone starts for J.T. Miller. They're up 11% from last year at 67%. So this guy's getting a chance to be in the offensive zone more time, way more than last year, Pair. And yet, the production isn't there. But for a guy who was averaging over a point a game last season, he's still not that far off. But when you look at Elias Pettersson... And nobody's really talked a lot about Petey's struggles this year. Yeah, he went through a slump a couple of weeks ago. It became a bit of a talking point and his body language. And, you know, I think he kind of went on a, a bit of a productive run. But look at Patterson. For a guy who last year averaged just a shade under a point a game, he right now is averaging .6 points. A .68 points per game. He's basically on point. If he plays all 56 games this year, he's on pace for a 38-point season. For a guy that you're talking about being your franchise player, I don't know if that's good enough. It's not.
4: Eddie told us last week, and you get back to Quinn Hughes just talking about their understanding the power play. And we said, Ed... You're playing a team night in, night out. How much easier is it to stop their superstar? He goes, well, you just, you know the tendencies, right? You play the first period against a team that you're only going to see once a month. And, you you know, you, you get turnstiled, and then you figure it out, and before you know it, the game's over. But when you understand the gap and how to play that player, it becomes easier. And I think that's what's happened with Petey. Also now, as the lotto line said as the season started, you know, we think we're number one line. We're going to see it. So that's what you're putting up against. You know, you're not worried about Paul Horvath and Tanner Pearson. You're petting your desk D-men who are playing big minutes. We're seeing it here with Hughes and Myers. I think we were talking about Bo and Byron who was pushing 25 the other day. It's It's been that kind of situation. I'll say this, and I just want to get to Miller. You started talking about him. I read an article out of Minnesota yesterday. Felino's quoted in it. And maybe this is something as fans you just don't think of. He talked about players who are on the COVID protocol list, whether they've had it or they were near someone. And he just said, mentally, to be singled out like that, he goes, it's really tough. And you know you've you know, you've, you've done nothing wrong, but maybe somehow, some way. And he said, I don't know if people understand the mental aspect of going, hey, finger pointing at you. Never thought of it like that. And JT Miller, you know, disappeared for the first couple of weeks, his fault or not, Jordy Benz. But maybe there was something to that. That being said, that's all behind you. You're the best line on this team. You think you're the best line in hockey. Those numbers, you got to fight through it, James. I agree. They've got to be better.
3: Plazi texting in at 650-650. I mean, look, P.D. Miller, not the only ones. Plazi texting in saying, my worst pick ever is Zabinajad. only three points this season in 14 yeah. games. Right. And for all that conversation, you know, and there's Panarin still well over a point a game. And yet it is just not clicking for Zabinijad so far with the New York Rangers. Right. And I mean, I guess at the same time, like Alex Lafreniere and for all the hype of this guy's had for the last, what, two years being the first overall pick, he's got one Goal mm-hmm. in 14 games. Niels Hoaglander, a lot of people have loved what he's done here so far, per. Um, and you know what? He's noticeable every night, but he's also gone pointless in six straight games now, and for a guy who's in your top six in scoring, you'd still like to see a little more offense. you just like to see him hit the net when he comes flying in and just whistles that puck, and it's like, that's great. Now maybe can we just kind of hone in on maybe the same province of British Columbia where we can put the puck on the net now.
4: Well, but here's what Travis Green had to say. And you know what? This is a simple, this to me was like a coach talking about a 14 or 15-year-old. Here's what Green had to say when asked about Hoaglander and what he's done in the last month.
2: Man, he just seems to have a smile on his face every day he comes to the rink. He seems to be in pretty good spirits so far. His play would indicate that he's having fun. He's just a hockey player that loves coming to the rink and playing. Uh, He's got a lot of qualities that we talk about, uh, that we look for in a Canuck. You know, he's an exciting young player.
4: Isn't that simple? Like he has fun. Where when you look at Petey and it's not working, it's all oh, got to look to the heavens. We heard JT Miller react audibly when he was struggling back then. But Hoaglander takes a puck in the face, he's cutting, he's all right, now I really look like a North American hockey player. There's something to be said, and I guess it just, how do you still enjoy what you're doing when you're losing? This kid loves the fact that, guess what, Matt? I am in the NHL, win or lose. He goes out every shift and tries to do something. I hope that's a little more contagious because this young group feels like the weight of expectation has taken away some of the fun for them.
3: All right, 20 minutes after 6 o'clock here on this uh, Wednesday morning. It is game day, Canucks and the Flames. Puck drop 7 o'clock tonight. Pre-game show starting at 5 here on Sportsnet 650. It's a little bit earlier this morning, but let's do this. It's time for Seaball Says.
0: He may not be right, but he says it with confidence anyway. I need all of you. To stop what you're doing and listen. Seaball says on Sportsnet 650.
3: Oh, well, it was, you know, kind of anniversary day yesterday as uh, Happy Gilmore turned 25 years old this week. Did you see the Sandler videos? Did you see the Chris McDonald shooter McGavin videos last week? The, the Over the last 24 hours, they're incredible. We'll get to those in a little bit, but it's crazy how time flies. And to this day, I still refer to lines from Happy Gilmore when I'm talking to buddies, like
4: You could trouble me for a warm glass of Shut the hell up! Now you will go to sleep,
3: or I will put you to sleep. I still say that to my sister all the time, or
4: You're in big trouble though, pal. I eat pieces of s*** like you for breakfast. <laughs> you eat pieces of s*** for breakfast? No! And then there's
5: the timeless The price is wrong, bitch!
3: Yes. You know, it was actually filmed here locally. I'm sure most of you know that at Swanny set in Pitt Meadows and ultimately a cult favorite. I was actually at an event once where Mario Lemieux and Ty Domi were hanging out together, uh, kind of in a VIP room and grabbing a couple of interviews. And comedian Joe Flaherty of SCTV fame walked over to say hi to Mario. Domi looked confused and wondering who the hell he was. And he looks at me and said, who's that guy? Because Flaherty was all disheveled looking and... I just simply reenacted this scene to explain it to him. You suck, you jackass. Domi quickly figured out who it was just after that. So, in honor of Happy's 25th, I give you my five favorite sports movies of all time. Okay, checking in at number five, I'm going Rocky 3. Now, part of me wanted to put Bull Durham on this list, but yes. I get this isn't the Oscar winning flick of the Rocky franchise, but as a wrestling fan, it is hard to ignore the film that introduced the world to Thunderlips, better known as Hulk Hogan. And then Mr T, who before he became must watch in the Sabalski household for A Team, played one badass dude named Clubber Lang. Get out of my face. Don't need nothing you
0: got no more. Don't need no hair's been messing with my And You better get that bad look off your face before I knock it off.
3: I say that to my kids still. You better take that bad look off your face before I knock it off, right? Just trying to go a little old school. It also gives every middle-aged dude out there the best guitar riff to work out to, right? Are you kidding me? Come on. You know your head's not bobbing when you hear this, right? Come on. I see Perry getting on the bike right now. He's ready to go for a spin. I can do it. Yeah, I know you're jumping in there. now. Tell me you're not fired up for that. So at number four, I'm going with Happy Gilmore. Now, some will probably refer to Caddyshack or Tin Cup as the better golf movie, but for me personally, I'd rather play in the Waterbury Open tomorrow.
0: Hey, you should play in the Waterbury Open tomorrow.
3: Yeah. Yeah, all right. I'll see you guys there. (laughs) At number three, I'm going Slapshot. It is still crazy that one of Hollywood's most iconic leading men starred in the movie. Paul Newman, perfectly playing Reg Dunlop, although the supporting cast stole the show with the Hanson brothers, along with goaltender Danny Lemieux.
0: What is high sticking?
3: High sticking happen when uh, the guy take the stick, you know, and he go like that. You know, you don't
6: do that. You don't do that. Oh, no, never, never. Why not? Against the rules. You know, you're stupid when you do that. Just some English pig with no Against, brain at all, uh... you know. <laughs>
3: How many of you are reenacting that entire scene in your head right It also taught us to respect the playing of the national anthems. I run a clean game here. I have any trouble,
0: I'll suspend. I'm looking at a f- song!
3: There you go. Baseball movies, I feel like in Hollywood, are just the best. So many to pick from. Bull Durham, The Natural. But I'm going with 1989's comedy with Willie Mays Hayes. Rick Wild Thing Vaughn in Major League.
1: Vaughn into the wind-up in his first offering just a bit outside he tried the corner and missed
3: now the best lines are loaded with just perfectly placed swearing but we also learned along the way that it is very bad very bad to drink joe Booze rum. and at number one it's a hoops film for me and it's another wesley snipes film at that hustling on the courts Sid mm. and billy debating who could hear jimmy and inspiring me to go to sizzler the first time i went to california it's white men can't jump
0: oh man shut your anorexic malnutrition tapeworm having overdose dick gregory bahamian diet drinking ass up leave me alone
3: shout out to the insanely gorgeous rosie perez at the time there too ball scenes were great culturally it nailed the time perfectly in the early 90s Now director ron shelton had more acclaim with bull durham but give me this street ball classic as my all-time favorite. So happy anniversary, Happy Gilmore, and thank you for inspiring one fun-ass trip down memory lane this morning.
4: Yeah, it was fun. We'll play the clip from Adam from Shooter Gilmore a little bit later on in PSPS. Happy Gilmore, to me, is not a top-five movie. That's our question for you. A lot of submissions in, Slapshot's always getting it, Caddyshack. Uh, is one there as well. But it, uh, my top, I'm not going to go to my I'll, I'll get into it later on. But simply to me, when you say best sports movie, it's Rocky. And I know you broke it down to Rocky 3. But to watch the first ever Rocky and just see the inspiration. Everybody loves the story, right? The rags to riches story. When you can spin off the number that they've done and now Creed, it's the best sports movie, period. But, boy, happy Gilmore to those lines. That's the beauty of it. If you can find a movie that is still part of your generation, and as you said about that Ty Domi, you say something like, oh, yeah, that's where I know him from. Uh, and, and I remember the first time going to Swanee, he said, oh, that's Happy Gilmore, yeah. And anytime you drive to Whistler, oh, there's that par three, Happy Gilmore. So what's all there? 25 years of success for Adam Sandler
3: there you go, uh, six fifty, six fifty. Dumb Bar Lumber text line, love to hear from you your favorite sports movies of all time join the conversation we'll share some of them over the course of the morning we'll get more from Peria coming up with no BS just straight up PS coming up at 645 and round number 2 this week between the Leafs and the Sens goes down later on today, how about that epic fail for the Leafs, oh you know you were chuckling seeing that play out as the Senators came back from 5-1 deficit can they do it again, we'll head of the nation's capital. Check in with Ian Mendez next right here on your home of the Canucks. It's game day here on SportsNet 650.
0: Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabalski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, SportsNet 650.
3: 632 here on this. Wednesday morning, it is game day. Canucks and the Flames, round number four, the final uh, game of this four-game series. Uh, Canucks hoping for at least a split, if nothing else, uh, at the Saddledome tonight. Uh, Pre-game show starts at 5 o'clock. Puck drop with Joey Kenward and Corey Hirsch coming your way at 7 o'clock. James Sabalski, Perry Salkowski, uh all Canadian teams except for the Montreal Canadiens in action uh, tonight, Pair, including uh, round two between the Senators and the Leafs after one crazy finish back on Monday night that saw the Leafs up 5-1 and allowed that one to get away from them as the Senators come back. With five unanswered to win it six five in overtime back on Monday night, and suddenly the Ottawa Senators have a two game win streak.
4: As pointed out to us uh, by a uh, a caller yesterday, that uh, you know you take away that Ottawa series against Vancouver, they've got the same amount of wins as the Canucks do, which is is crazy to think of, and also the fact that you you go all right. Um, how much disrespect did Ottawa get? We're going to talk to Ian Mendez and say hey, the least blue, the least blue, which they did. But hey, give that plucky Senators team. Now they're playing like many expected them to when everything started, that they would be able to fight, compete, and upset. they beat Montreal, they've beaten Toronto, and maybe the Canucks got them at their very worst, which be thankful for that.
3: Uh, by the way, on, on a side note, uh, a lot of people jumping in on the Dunbar Lumber text line at six fifty, six fifty 650, 650 uh, with their submissions for their favorite sports movies. And. Um... Uh, Island Lover, uh, if you can finish this line, then name the movie. If you can dodge a wrench.
4: Yeah. Dodgeball. It's good. Dodgeball, very good. I mean, See that? When you talk the best ever, I, I won't go there. We'll see what Mendez thinks. It's pretty funny. Ian Mendez from The Athletic, uh, who covers the Ottawa
3: Senators, rejoins the show. Uh, Mendez, what's your favorite sports movie of all time? Ooh,
6: wait, is Dodgeball part of the mix? Is that uh, some, is you guys uh, classifying it? So, someone a, someone, someone just
4: texted in said yes.
6: Yeah, I think I mean it would be up there if we're classifying it as a as a as a sports movie. I would I would certainly be uh, on board for that. But like best sports movie of all time for me, like I always loved uh, Field of Dreams. I know that's probably a lame answer, uh, but that was uh, that was always one of my all time favorite movies.
3: See, I got it way down on my uh, favorite baseball movies. Like I would sooner go Major League, Bull Durham the natural I absolutely love for a baseball movie, then I would have filled the dreams. So I, I've got it down on my list, but there's a lot of people that put that as their goat for sports movies.
6: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, And again, this is one of those great, like I was like, and again, now I'm not, uh, I'm not, not a talk show host anymore, And but these were always the things I loved about doing talk radio was these types of conversations and the wide uh, swath of answers you would get when you would throw out a question about you know, your favorite movie or your, your favorite line from a sports movie and the unbelievable array of answers that would come in uh, was always one of my favorite segments on, uh, on radio.
4: Well, it's just it's just the fact. like Everyone loves the rags to riches story. I said Rocky is always the best. It spun off that much, but you're right. Our text line is blowing up as to what the best movies are, and you can't argue with any of them. It's just the taste. Uh, listen, rags to riches might not be bad. I feel bad for the Ottawa Senators because it was all about what the Toronto Maple Leafs didn't do in closing out a hockey game 48 hours ago. Come on, Ian. You're in Ottawa. That sends teams got to feel good about themselves. Like the young guys can play with the big boys on some nights, aren't they? Guys, I was gonna I was gonna lead a parade, uh, and Sobalski would know
6: right down Bank Street. Uh, uh, just I, th- this was the high point of Ottawa Senators hockey, maybe in the last three years or four years. And um, I say that knowing there's been a couple of other great moments. But honestly, like to come back from five-one down against. You know, a team that was, like, let me put it this way. You want to talk about rags to riches or underdog stories? Like, the Ottawa Senators were down 5-1, and they're in 31st place overall. And they're playing the team that's in first place overall. They're down 5-1 with 20 minutes to go in the game. They come back and win like that. That's some busted Douglas, Mike Tyson type. of I don't know where this came from type of thing. So look, I, I understand if you are uh, Sheldon Keith, you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, you're going to take ownership and you're going to say, you know, we let them back in the game. And I get that. But for Ottawa to do that, it's huge. It doesn't matter. They play again tonight and they play again tomorrow night. The Leafs could wax them 4-1, 5-1 in both games, whatever. No one's going to remember that. You will always remember like this is almost, it's not quite, losing to David Ayers, as Zamboni driver, and it's certainly not uh, losing uh, 4-1 to, to Boston. But it certainly is another chapter in that uh, storied, you know, collapsing history of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And for Ottawa to be the author of that chapter after so many years of being on the opposite end of that uh, narrative, it was such a delicious uh, ending for the Ottawa Senators and their fan base. And when you're sitting in last place overall, you got to sink your claws and uh, teeth into any little thing you can get. And This was, this was pretty good for this market.
3: Yeah, no, I mean that like just to kind of see that and and what a what a rallying point for a young core that's kind of taken their licks here so far this season. Ian Mendez with us here on SportsNet 650. Mendez, though, if you look at the trend here over the last what? 2 weeks or so, Ottawa's been in it. Like is it is it goaltending that has suddenly flipped a switch here for this team, but you look at the results, they've won two straight and if you go back right to the beginning of February, like, you know, they're losing games that are 2-1, 3-2, like they're, they're not lopsided affairs anymore.
6: No, and I think if, if you go back and remember, and it feels like a lifetime ago, those three games, Senators-Canucks, where I think Vancouver outscored Ottawa 16-3. to If it wasn't 16-3, to it was something in that neighborhood. And goaltending was terrible for Ottawa. They had a little bit of Matt Murray, a little bit of Marcus Hogberg, and it was bad. Like, the save percentages in those games for Ottawa was hovering around 800. And I don't care who your offense is or what your deal is. You're not going to win you're not even going to win the 1980s with 800 save percentage. So forget mm-hmm. about it in, in the here and the now. So absolutely, uh, you know, improved goaltending has been a, a huge factor. Matt Murray's been a bit banged up here the last two, two games. If he doesn't play tonight, he'll play tomorrow. So that's been a huge factor. And then they've gotten some productivity from uh, the guy that was the hero the other night in the, in the overtime game against Toronto was Evgeny Dadnov, And it took Dadnov. it was almost like a, it's like a slow boil for him to get to, to where he is now. And he's a three-time 25-goal scorer. Last three years, he scored 25 goals. And he came in here in the first 12 games, I think he had one goal. And we're all looking at each other like, this guy scored 25 goals? Maybe he just rode shotgun with Barkov and Huberto. And then the last four games, I think he's got four goals. He's been great. So you're starting to get some productivity from guys like Dadnov uh, and, and, and some good goaltending. And you're, you're able to just at least punch a little bit above your weight which is not what they were doing three weeks ago when they were really the embarrassment of the National Hockey League. Uh
4: They were, and I think the one thing, Ian, you can control, if you're not talented enough, and no matter who they line up against, I think they're tough to win that equation. You can outwork teams, and for the times that I've turned on and watched the Senators, remember a couple of Saturdays ago against the Leafs, they're going, they're the better hockey team. They may not win this, but they're the better hockey team. Have they been outworking their opponent? Like,
6: lately, yes, and that, again, but I think a lot of it – and you guys would know this too so well from your market. How much of the game is predicated on reliable, solid goaltending? Like it just, I feel like when you have solid goaltending, it permeates a confidence amongst the skaters. And when you don't have it, I feel like players play a little bit nervous and you're like, Oh, here we go. But you always have this thing in the back of your mind. Like, here we go again. And I think that's where Ottawa was two weeks ago. And I think it even affected their, if you want to say work ethic or work habits, I think it's just human nature. When you feel like something bad is going to happen, you're going to play accordingly. But when you play with a ton of confidence and feeling like, hey, we got nothing to lose, which is what a team in 31st place in a rebuild should be doing, then you are going to be able, I think, to at least outwork your opponents. And certainly in the last 21 minutes or whatever, of that game against Toronto, they outworked them. And they, out, they just outclassed them. And it's remarkable because the Maple Leafs are arguably in the conversation of the best three or four teams in the league to start. And yet you look at some of the things like the Toronto fan base is really uh, nervous about this start, even though they were in first place overall. And I think Ottawa did a really good job of poking some holes into uh, what the problems are with the Leafs. And the fact that Toronto fans will tell you, we don't bring our work boots enough. Um, and I know fans don't love hearing like we just need to work harder and have, you know. Uh, you know, bear down. Like people don't love to hear that, but that was exactly what happened to Toronto on, on Monday night where Ottawa just simply outworked them in the final 20 minutes of the game.
3: Yeah. Nice to catch up. It is, uh, it is way easier covering games when, uh, when your team's in it, as opposed to games when it's uh six, seven, one, uh, we've certainly uh, seen that trend over the last week or so where they've kind of been in it, uh, compared to getting blown out here on this side of the country, which is a whole other conversation. Nice to catch up again, <laughs> sir, And, uh, let's do it again sir, real soon. Okay. Yeah, sounds great. Have a great day, guys. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, right. Ian. Uh, Ian Mendez, uh, who covers the Ottawa Senators for the Athletic, uh, jumping in this morning, uh, weighing in with his thoughts. And, and you look at the trend. Look at the trend for the Senators here. So they look for their third straight victory tonight here, pair. Um, but they've got wins over the Jets, they got a win over the Leafs. And look, they're they're going to they're like, I feel like at the drop of the puck it's gonna be like that scene out of the movie Gladiator when Russell Crowe is like, at my command, unleash hell. I'm sure the Leafs are gonna be salty, come puck drop, and that first ten minutes going to be absolutely critical for the Sens to just simply buckle down and hang on. But the fact is, like, they're in it now. Like, they've are they played really well. They've had one shortcoming over the last couple of weeks, but every night they're kind of in these one-goal games these days. That's what you want to see, progression.
4: And that that's what people expected. Now, now, by the way, we usually make our picks at the end of the show, five to nine, try and make some people money. Last night I already gave up the goal and a half and took the Leafs because I'm with you going, you're not losing to them twice. But that's what was expected from the Ottawa Senators, that it would be nothing easy. I mean, maybe we don't put enough stock in the Canucks when the Sens came to town and some were going, this week may be destined to the franchise and where they're going to go, thinking, oh, my goodness, if Ottawa takes this series, it'll be terrible. The Canucks get all three like they needed. I don't think that happens again to the Ottawa Senators. There's just too much skill and effort, and if you put that in and you get some goaltending in Matt Murray, which I wouldn't want to bet the house on on a regular basis, it makes them better, and so that means there is absolutely no night off When it comes to the North Division, because the Sens are good enough now to knock off the best.
3: It is game day here on Sportsnet 650, pregame show at 5 o'clock. Puck drop at uh, 7 o'clock later on this evening. What's coming up in a moment here, Pear? What do you got for us?
4: I'm telling you, it may be the most underrated but greatest achievement in sports ever. If you have never heard of it. Stick around. It's unbelievable what this athlete did. It's not BS. It's PS on a game day on Sportsnet 650.
0: He always tries to be ahead of the game. Harry was in front. Finding stories that matter, sort of.
7: We call BS.
0: You want it. I want the truth. It's not BS, just PS with Perry Solkowski.
4: 649 on a game day we've talked about it this morning the top sports movies and the anniversary of Happy Gilmore if you didn't see it here's how it played out on social media with Shooter McGavin and Adam Sandler saying hey happy anniversary everybody okay it's been 25 years since I've done this let's see what happens I'm scared Shooter McGavin this is for you and I'm not lying to you, that is bad. And that went pretty well.
0: You dead shooter. Ha 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 ha. Nice drive, Gilmore. 25 years, huh? Let's see if it's a shooter's tour. Check it out. Oh, yeah. It's all about the short game. Drive for show, putt for the dough. Money. Shooter, still got it. Well, thank you to all the fans, and thank you to you, Adam Sandler.
4: Yeah, why not thank them? You know, that movie, James, was made, of course, a lot of people know, shot here in Greater Vancouver. $12 million was the budget 25 years ago, $41 million in the box office, and probably about 100 million guys around the world that can quote from that movie.
3: <laughs> yeah, Grizzly Adams had a beard. Grizzly Adams did have a beard.
4: How about this? I mentioned it. This week, 35 years ago, Larry Bird did one of the most remarkable things in a basketball game. Bill Walton explains. Larry told all of us and the media, he said, tomorrow night's the last game of the trip. I'm going to play this one left-handed.
8: Bird against Percy. Bird's still down there. for Parrish against Bowie. Too far, Bird's there. 16 points for Larry Bird in the first half.
4: Larry Bird told everyone he was going to play the game left-handed. Against the Portland Trail Blazers, he scored 47 points, pulled down 14 rebounds, had 11 assists. All left-handed. He's right-handed, if you didn't know. When asked in the post-game, Why did you do that? His answer was so Larry Bird, such an assassin. He said, I'm saving my right hand for the Lakers. That is cold, man. 47 with the left against Portland.
3: Larry, man. Larry Legend. I I hated Larry as a kid because I was a Laker guy, right? But, man, he was so good. Like, so good.
4: Unbelievable that he thought he would do that. Finally, P.S., not P.S., I guess if you believe in your team and you have some cash, why not do this? Bradley Beal and the Wizards will get round two against their former teammate John Wall. Westbrook along the baseline Oops. there for the dunk and the foul to put the exclamation point on this one. Here's what's crazy. Guy walks into a sports book yesterday. This isn't BS. He pulls out 10 grand and he puts it on the Washington Wizards to win the NBA championship. Wizards are have the fewest wins in the East. Three games out of the last playoff spot, but there's five teams they have to pass just to get into the playoffs. His $10,000 bet, his belief in his Washington Wizards, pays him $5 million if they win. I appreciate that, man, but that is just throwing money away. 10000 on the Wizards who won't even make the playoffs in a likelihood to win an NBA title.
3: <laughs> Nobody beats the Wiz. Come on.
4: Not PS, everybody. That's just PS on this game day Wednesday morning.
3: All right, seven minutes to seven o'clock. It is game day Canucks and Flames, round four. You ready for round four? Just think. They still got to play each other three more times after tonight. This is game six already that these two teams have played each other through the first. Uh, this will be game 20 for the Canucks on the schedule. We'll dive into it next right here on your home of the Canucks, SportsNet 650.
0: <laughs> Let's get it going. It's time to get up.
1: Miller with it at the left side of the line, comes to the faceoff circle, drops it down low to Horvat, who scores. Quick one-touch passing.
2: These guys are here to break it all down. We haven't won the, as many games as we've liked in this last little stretch, but uh, you know, a lot. There's going to be times where you're playing good teams every night. You know, Calgary's got a say in what you do as well. There's no vaccine for these guys.
0: It's game day! This is the starting lineup. Here's James Cebulski and Perry Solkowski. 7
3: o'clock, game day here in the city. Canucks and Flames closing out their four-game series, pregame show, 5 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650. Puck drop, 7 o'clock with Joey Kenward. And Corey Hirsch. We're going to hear from Elliot Friedman here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, Sportsnet Hockey Insider weighing in on uh, a potential interesting dilemma for the Canucks. Should they continue to slide this season? What happens at the trade deadline? Uh, Elliot catching up with the boys from the program. Uh, Andrew Walker and Satyar Shah yesterday. But uh, James Sobalski, Perry Solkowski, our number two here the starting lineup. A pair a lot of people jumping in this morning, um, <laughs> weighing in uh, with yesterday marking the 25th anniversary of Happy Gilmore. A lot of people jumping in <laughs> about you know, their favorite sports movie of all time. Jim and Ladner on the Dunbar Lumber Texlon at 650-650. How about this one? Man, I I, I still well up any time I watch this movie, but Brian's song with Billy D. Williams, oh, it's James Kahn. Uh, a story about Brian Piccolo and Gale Sayers from the Chicago Bears in the 1960s. My God, just like the the theme, the music in that movie, like just eyes just well up immediately. <laughs> you watch that movie.
4: I don't know how old that movie is, um, but I and I, I I don't know when I first watched it. I don't think I realized who Gale Sayers was. And anytime you watch a movie and you're just going, oh, okay, who is that guy? What is he? Who's John Capaletti? Did he actually make that speech when he won the Heisman? Yeah, Jim, you're right. It is probably when it comes to pulling at the heartstrings. Like even now, if we played the theme to that movie, you just go, oh, my God, I can't handle It's funny how subjective it is. And here on a game day, everyone wants to talk about their sports movies. I, I told you one yesterday, Seaball, and it's It's a terrible movie. And if someone has watched it, please text us. And maybe it's because I grew up in Spokane was kind of the American channel you had. And that's where the movie was filmed. But there's a movie with Matthew Modine and and, uh, Madonna was in it. Mm -hmm. And and I don't know if if Balik's got a lot of stuff going on, but maybe the reason I loved it was a little bit of Red Rider, but it's about a wrestler, right? And he's got a fight shoot and lunatic French comes on and he gets ready for the big fight. And to this day, you're talking how you talk to your buddies and you've dropped lines. Like anytime one of us is in really good shape, you just go, what are you, fighting shoot? And the whole thing, you may remember some athletes still have it now, but he used to wear the rubber suit to get in shape, right? And they have it. And Danny McManus, when he played in the CFL, that movie was on. I said, man, where do you get that jacket? Because NFL quarterbacks and CFL quarterbacks, they just wear it. Easy way to warm up. It's probably not healthy for you. Your body doesn't breathe. But to this day, Vision Quest to me makes me laugh. when I go, best sports movie? I go, it's top five. Everyone goes, what is that? I go, trust me, little Matthew Modine Vision Quest. Get ready to fight <laughs> shoot. But it's amazing amazing number of people that want to talk about sports movies this morning.
3: Yeah, it's like when guys used to throw the garbage bag and needed to lose 10 pounds quickly to get into condition, right? You just, you know, put yes, something exactly. really. Yeah, just, just sweat. Just run out. It's Todd
4: Bertuzzi. It's Todd Bertuzzi saying that he goes into the sauna with his spin bike and rides for a half an hour just to sweat it out. You're going, really?
3: Yep. <laughs> uh, very good call, Jim. Uh, it was actually a made-for-TV movie originally. Uh, the Thunder from going with Basketball, the South Park boy creators uh, with that movie. Uh, man, I don't know if I'd put that as favorite sports movie, but, man, there's, there's a little bit of love coming in for Basketball this morning as well.
4: You know what else is getting it, and, and I agree it was a good movie, is Draft Day. Yeah, like very I don't good movie. think you, you don't need the cheesy romantic part of it, but I think Draft Day actually gave you a pretty good idea of what might be going on behind the scenes of the NFL when you're when you're trying to make deals, when you're trying to find out about guys. Uh, I, I think there is a sense of realism to that.
3: Kevin Costner's been involved in some of my favorite. Like I love The Untouchables, love The Untouchables, okay. love Bull Durham. Um, and man, I'm loving Yellowstone. I got a new love in for Kevin Costner now. Like I, I'm, I've kind of gotten past the whole the Postman and Waterworld. You know, I'm, I'm on board with Kevin Costner again after a couple of epic misses.
4: Uh, you got me into Yellowstone, and yeah, that's uh, he's good. He's good in that movie. That, that guy's. Yeah, he had some misses, but for the most part, yeah, he nailed it. And I thought in draft day, although there was some cheese, you could have got rid of a lot of people thinking that's one of the better movies you can see. Thank you, Jason. You've seen Vision Quest. We see you on the text line. (laughs) There you are. Someone's seen
3: it. You know, uh, another text here at 650-650. You know, we talked to Ian Mendez a few minutes ago about the recent improved play from the Ottawa Senators. But you look at the way the Sens are playing these days. You know, somebody texting in. Can you imagine if Ottawa would have come back here to Vancouver when Ottawa was playing at this way and... You know, the sense in this city, if Ottawa kind of rolled out, taking say, two or three, like this city. Like, if you thought that this city was tense with the Canucks over the last few weeks, imagine Ottawa rolls in here and takes two or three, right? This oh, city yeah. would have
4: blown up, but, <laughs> right? But, J- James, here's the thing, and, and it's tough. And and I, the Travis Green clip we played, oh, you're going to play some good teams uh, a lot of nights. No, you're playing a good team every night. I mean, that's what you have to adjust to in this north division but every city except for i guess you would say toronto has wondered about what their product in front of them is you know the jets wondering are they going to scuffle i think you know with pierre Luc dubois everyone thinks they will be okay but there's still questions there edmonton's wondering do they win every game six five because they need some goaltending that's been a constant consternation there calgary for the most part, they're still unsure what kind of a hockey team they had, and they can't look at this series against Vancouver going, you know, we really showed something there. So there's questions there. And the same thing can be said in Montreal. We caught the Habs at their greatest, and you caught the Senators when they were at their lowest. But for the last two weeks in Montreal, they're wondering, are we the team that busted out of the gate and in instant chemistry? Or are we the team that's fighting it a little bit more? So I think each market has had their questions. I think the only thing is the questions the Canucks have had have lasted a lot longer. Um, than we anticipated, and they started right out of the gate. Like, there was never that shining moment to go, get back to how you were playing early on in the season. It's going, like, are you ever going to play well? And as you mentioned, they've lost seven of their past eight, and we try and gloss it over. They played really well in the last four and probably been the better team. I guess so, but that doesn't matter if, if the end result is you've lost, and they've lost that many hockey games. Winning Calgary tonight, come back with two points, see what you can do with this next homestand. But you're losing ground. And Travis Green goes, you know, it's early in the season. Don't panic. No, no, you're a third of the way through the season. This is like game 28 if it was normal. Like you have played a lot of hockey already. And you can't just say it's early in the season or some nights you're going to play good teams. You're playing good teams every night and it's no longer early in the season. There's got to be more urgency on the part of the Canucks the season.
3: Elliott Friedman joined uh, the program last night, our Sportsnet Hockey Insider, and weighed in. You know, if this trend continues, and right now, let's face it, the Canucks are on the outside looking in for a potential playoff spot in the North Division or the Gord Downey Division, if you will. So what happens if this Canucks team is pretty much, you know, the team that we're seeing through the first third of the campaign, through 19 games? If this trend continues, what happens, say, oh, I don't know, April 12th, NHL trade deadline? What happens then? What is management to do? Here's what Elliot and Sat and Walks had to say yesterday on that potential idea.
5: I thought this year, I didn't think they'd be winning the Canadian division, but I thought they'd be better than this. Okay? Mm-hmm. I thought they would be ahead of, you know, where they are. And, you know, now they're kind of out of the race. Well, they're still in the race, but the math is not good. The math is really not good. I didn't think we'd get to this particular point. Uh, so quickly. But what Equity did was he reset it. Let's see how this goes. Well, okay, who are you trading and who are you not trading? Okay, we know who you're not trading. Um, Who are you trading? I think
3: it's only guys like Essentially, to me, there's, it's essentially one guy that has value
4: as a rental, and that's Tanner Pearson. And it comes down to whether they want to keep him or not. Like, He is the one guy. Perhaps Brandon Sutter, but that doesn't move the needle really. You're talking about a depth forward. The one chip they have to play as far as rentals go is probably Tanner Pearson. And he's a guy that I
3: think if management had their way, they'd like to keep. And that's my guess.
5: Well, the, the thing is, like, th- this is, this is a tricky thing. Um, one of the most difficult things about projecting the future right now, sad is we don't know what the future is. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I have a line what's true now might not be true in 10 minutes. And if you go back to last season and the end of the return to play, there was a hope for what the end of this year would look like. Maybe they'd have buildings with, with fans in them for the playoffs in Canada, looking at the way we're vaccinating, do you think that's going to happen? I don't see it. So, you know, last year there was a hope for what this year would look like. Now those that picture is starting to get bleaker, and what's that going to mean for next year? Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think the Canucks are alone in this boat. I think there's a lot of teams that are in this boat, but You know, one of the things I kind of heard now, like I had one agent who told me earlier in the year, one of the things he tried to sell his team on is, like he has a UFA and the team wants to sign him. And it's not a huge UFA, but it's a good mid-level, like a player that teams would want. And he was saying to me, why don't we do the deal? Because it's not like it's costing you a cent now. You don't have to pay the money until later. And the team is saying to him, you know, suddenly this picture is changing again. And we're not sure what it's going to look like for next year. And I think there's a lot of situations around the league right now where talks for next year are cold. I'm sure there's going to be exceptions. I have no doubt you're going to see the odd player here get their extension. But I think a lot of it right now, guys, is very cold. And that's
3: so there's Elliott Friedman with Andrew Walker and Satyar Shah and trying to get a sense of, you know, what the options, what sort of assets do you have to dangle? You know, I think as Sat alluded to, Tanner Pearson's kind of the one guy, right? Are you getting much for Brandon Sutter? Probably not. Uh, are you getting, you know, obviously we've heard the name Jake Vertanen that's been out there for a few weeks now. Um, yeah, It's tough to make a deal right now. At this stage, if you know, especially if you're looking at, I don't know, 75% of the league, which is south of the border, I mean, Jay can go jump into the lineup pretty quickly. It's a different story if you're trying to get an asset back here into the lineup where you're going to have to wait a minimum of two weeks. So help wouldn't exactly be on the way. Adam Gaudette, another possible trade candidate as well that we've heard of. Ole Olevi's name has been kind of floated out there. But again, um you know what's the return you're getting i mean if you're packaging all three of those guys even then how enticing is that package to some people right i mean somebody might take a chance but you know there's there's a lot of teams like i, I heard from one uh, from one player personnel to, uh, member from another team that you know looking at jake that a, a team that could probably use a young player to fit in they're like we want no part you know don't like the reputation don't like the player been there done that and no thank you hard pass you know, there's not uh, yeah. a good reputation trade, for Jake right now.
4: Trade deadline day is going to be like trade deadline hour. I just don't think we will see much activity, more so in the States, yes, but as far as Canadian teams, I don't think so. But if you're an American team and you want that Canadian player, really, are you going to be waiting around for a couple of weeks? I think the obvious is are, are, are the guys we mentioned, uh, Tanner Pearson, because he's won a cup and he's got experience. I think Sutter would be uh, of interest too, but they only become of interest if the teams who are looking have probably hit been hit by some kind of an injury and go, you know what, we're not going to be able to plug that hole within the system. We think we're good enough to make that chase. Let's plug that hole now. And in the return, the Canucks get a pick of some sort. I don't see this roster changing too much this year. It's 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 simply the situation we're in with the quarantine. And to Elliot's point, you know, James, you and I have always thought, you know, next October, will there be a lot of fans in the. I can't see 18,000 people jumping into hockey rinks by October. Maybe by the end of next year, and that means that's revenue implications on how you're going to have some money and who you're going to sign. But I just think it's going to be so underwhelming, trade deadline day, and the lack of moves. I think I said it yesterday, too. At this time last year, six coaches had already been fired and replaced. I don't think we're going to see that just because most teams, just like the Vancouver Canucks we've heard, are kind of going to stay the course in these unique times. We won't see the multiple moves, yeah, we had it with Golchenik a couple times over the weekend, but I just think it's going to be really quiet unless there's that one fit.
3: It is the starting lineup James Sobalski, Perry Solkowski with you and you know, Elliot also included in his 31 thoughts uh column that is uh, out on sportsnet.ca that um this is something that Sats uh, Sat Shaw has brought up a few times here on, on the radio station, but There's been a lot of speculation about whether or not Jim Benning's contract is guaranteed beyond this season. And Elliot alluded to this uh, in the 31 Thoughts uh, column, suggesting that I've heard the rumors that Jim Benning's contract is not guaranteed beyond this season. I've looked into it. There is pushback on that from a couple of sources who say it's guaranteed for two more years. So that's what Elliott's reporting in the 31 Thoughts uh, column that you can check out on sportsnet.ca. But suggesting that Benning's contract is guaranteed for two more years. And so if that is the case, if Benning's contract is indeed guaranteed, you got to think about if you're bringing in another executive-level salary. Now, look, the Canucks have shown that they are a cap-spending team. Pretty much since the Aquilini's have taken over ownership of this club, but at this time pair come season starts in the fall of 2021 for next year, are fans going to be in the stands? Like, are we looking at Rogers Arena being at full capacity? Probably not, no. right? Like, you can't even. It's funny. Like, my my daughter's going into high school coming up in the fall. And we had kind of the orientation session uh, with this giant Zoom chat with all these parents uh, getting ready for, for high school next year. And, you know, the, the school district can't predict what school's going to look like in the fall, right? You know, are you at home? Uh, you, know, are you, you know, what does that look like? It's, it's, you know, is it two subjects a day or is it a full class load? Uh, you know, what does that look like? Or, you know, are there sports? Or like, what's happening there? So in terms of trying to predict, and so if you are going to look at Jim Benning's contract guaranteed for two more years, look, if you're going to turn the page, you're going to turn the page. But when you're the one who's signing the checks and having to bring in another salary, paying somebody a million dollars on top of paying somebody to go away for a million dollars a year, man, at some point you kind of say, well, where's the return? Where's the money coming back? Because if half your gate revenue is not there available to you, that's a tough one to small a swallow right a million bucks is still a million bucks, and i don't care how rich you are if you're losing all that revenue, then uh losing a million bucks sucks
4: well the value the value of the property you own doesn't go down he's taken hits before, and I don 't think Jim Benning and having to pay him out if he doesn't want him with his wheels with his hands on the wheel of this, he makes that decision um game day today Joey Kemmer's calling the game as he has for the last couple of uh Games uh, filling in for Brendan Batchelor. And Joe was up early this morning and joins us on the starting lineup. Joey, how are
1: you? Good morning, fellas. How are you?
4: Good, Joe. All right. Just going over the best sports movies around. Um, it's a quick in and out trip to Calgary. But Travis Green, you know, talking about the process, Joe, and they have been better, you would agree. But they've won one game, seven of their last eight. Uh, is the talk of process and playing better and deserved a better fate over for this
1: team yeah, young blood to put it in the lineup tonight <laughs> rob
4: as in like yeah. rob
1: Lowe from young blood? <laughs> or patrick swayze god he rob? could
4: he couldn't skate oh,
1: how, about Ke- how about keanu reeves as the goalie as the goalie yeah i didn't
3: realize yes. that until years <laughs> later
1: i couldn't believe that guy could put pads on let alone skate um <laughs> By the way, I wasn't a big fan of that movie for what it's worth. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Uh, Vancouver, they've they have got to find a way to get results on the road right now, guys. I mean, in general, they've got to get points. No doubt. Like, pretty much the end of this series off, they've, they've got to get two points here. But the road has not been friendly to Vancouver to start this year. I know that sounds like Captain Obvious, but if they want to have at all any shot of getting into a playoff spot in this Canadian division, they've got to really really make hay when playing away from Rogers Arena. They can't start any sooner than tonight at the Saddleville.
3: Well, um, you've been kind of tracking uh, Niels Hoaglander and some of the numbers that he's put up. Give me a sense of, you know, from someone calling the game, you're dialed in, give me your assessment of what you're seeing from the kid. I I mean, my only nitpick is that you'd love to see a little more in the terms of the finish, but he's noticeable out there, Joe.
1: Well, he, he leads all NHL rookies in shocks. He led the team the other night in the overtime loss to Calgary in both shots and shot attempts. You're right. It's one thing to be shooting the puck, but you've got to be able to finish. And that's the one thing that a lot of rookies do have an issue with at this level. Now Canucks fans have been blessed the last couple of years when they've seen rookie forwards come in, when they shoot, they may be able to get the red light turned on. Elias Petterson, Brock Besser have been able to do that the last couple of years, not so much with Holglander yet, but if he keeps Having the 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 mojo that he's got going right now, like this looks like a guy well beyond his years playing at this level. He looks extremely confident on the ice. He looks extremely confident when he's got the puck. That's not always the case for rookies in this league. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of time before he starts to, to finish. And, and he's one of those guys you might see him even in a, a more prominent role here. If he keeps going like this, uh, I think you're going to see him get more minutes. You might even see him get even more power play time. Uh, he's certainly one player they're not disappointed in. I think there's a lot of other guys on that team they'd like to see start shooting the puck a little bit more to hopefully be able to to create more offense and to create more goals.
4: One of them is JT Miller. Like, JT Miller's not shooting the puck this year. He's 13th on the team in shots.
1: Like, there's there's four defensemen on this team that have more shots on goals than, than JT Miller. Now, I, I will admit, like... The numbers might be skewed a little bit because he's played three less games than some of the other guys who have played a full season. But how is that possible? How is that possible right now for a player like Miller, who led the team in scoring, was one of the team's leaders in shots on goal last year, provided in a healthy season? How does he only have, like he's not even averaging close to two shots on goal per game. I find that just bizarre for a player of J.T. Miller's talent, where he is on the depth chart, the opportunities he's getting as far as ice time on the power play. They need him to get going. They need him to really put the pedal down here over the next couple of weeks if they want to get into it. And don't think he's not fully aware of that. I'm sure he's putting a ton of pressure on himself right now to produce offense, offense. but he's certainly a player that when you look at At that stat specifically, that's where you see, I think, a few eyebrows raised saying this is a guy that was your leading scorer last year, and he's in the middle of your lineup right now when it comes to creating scoring chances.
3: And yet, Joe, he's averaging a better points per game than Elias Pettersson by almost a fifth of a point per game. like why why like it's funny how we we absolutely kill jt miller for being a different player but from a statistic from an actual point production standpoint he's actually having a much better offensive
1: campaign than Elias peterson it's it's weird isn't it how i think if you were to ask most fans hey if you've got a guy like peterson or miller on your team and they're a point per game guy you'll take it right most fans would say yeah absolutely but then when you look at how the team has played and how some of those individuals have played on certain nights, are there other players in the league that are point-per-game players on your roster that are causing more frustration for a fan base? <laughs> Maybe not, right? They, they obviously, it goes without saying, they need those guys to produce. They need those players to really be able to score more goals than what they have right now. And as often has been the case with that line, when they go – the team goes. Uh, and that team really needs to get going here over the next couple of weeks if they want to get back into the race.
4: Better defensively, you think? Um, what they've shown, is that the one thing the last couple of weeks that as a unit uh, they've taken away? They still give up the odd man rush, but it was ridiculous in the first four weeks.
1: Oh, no question. I mean, when you look at it, even, you know, it was magnified the other night, obviously, by the turnover by Nate Schmidt uh that, that was just an absolute backbreaker of a goal when Dylan Dubay was credited for basically an own goal. You know, but but prior to that, the the defense pairings of Schmidt and Edler, uh Bannon Hughes, Myers and Joe Levy, like pretty steady for four games in a row here. The team started great in these games. And and you know what, to build up a two-nothing lead the way they did the other night against Calgary, if they had had one more goal against the Flames that night That Calgary team looked completely uninterested, lethargic. They could have been blown out of the rink that night. And I think a big credit to where Vancouver has been able to have as a team turnaround here to be able to get points in their last couple games has all started with puck protection, doing well to get out of your own zone, playing with the lead, not chasing your opponent. They're going to have to find a way to carry that on tonight. Even if they only got a point for their efforts the other night, I think there's a lot of positives they can take from that performance. Hopefully, translated into getting some sort of positive result and positive vibes playing where they just haven't had anything going for them well lately, and that's been away from Rogers Arena.
3: Joe, thanks for this. You got a long day ahead of you, so uh, thanks for finding the time with us bright and early this morning. Uh, pre-game show five o'clock, and uh, you and Hershey working at seven.
1: Yeah, looking forward to it. And I, I'm i assuming Field of Dreams is in both of your top five best no. movies of all no. time. No,
3: I wasn't the no, biggest Field of Dreams guy, man.
4: It's great though. You know they're playing there this year. They're going. uh, They're going to Iowa and playing a game, Major League Baseball in August.
1: I'm for you guys. That shocks me. There's not a lot of things with you two that shock me.
4: Hey Joey, I put in sea biscuit for you. Sea biscuit and secretary. (laughs) There's.
1: (laughs) I'm gonna go have some oatmeal right now. Thanks a lot, guys.
3: Beautiful. Thanks, Joe. There he is, uh, Joey Kenward, Uh, pinch hitting for uh, Brandon Bachelor these days. and uh, Joey and Hershey with the uh, call coming your way at 7 o'clock. Uh, it's 25 minutes after 7 o'clock. By the way, uh, favorite sports movies we've been talking about all morning. Uh, get your submissions in. Uh, what's yours? 650-650 uh, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Speaking of Dunbar Lumber, Stanley Cup winner and Mr. Fix and Ken Priestley, will join us next right here on this game day on your home of the Canucks. net 650.
0: It's time for Mr. Fix-It. Brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Now, here's Ken Priestley.
3: 7.31 on this game day. Canucks and Flames as they close out their four-game series only tonight. It's at the Saddledome. Still a 7 o'clock puck drop. A game uh, for the entire country to see. Uh, including uh, right here. And if you can't be in front of your television, hey, right here, your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm James Sobolsky. He's Perry Solkowski, And Stanley Cup winner and Mr. Fix from uh, Dunbar Lumber, Ken Priestley, uh, joining us. And uh, the the saddest Minnesota Vikings fan I know, next to my dad.
8: (laughs) Yeah, it's been a long run.
3: (laughs) You know, you jump on board as a kid, right? When you get all those Super Bowl appearances with Fran Tarkenton back in the day, Priestley, and... And what are you stuck with now? It's like me being a Bears fan at the time, the, the whole Super Bowl shuffle, and 35 years later, I'm still waiting for those good times to
8: come back. I, I'm still hurting from Atlanta's field goal, what, 20 years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah,
8: <geez. laughs> there was a lot of money on that kick right there, oh and God. I felt it hard. Yeah, for sure. That was tough. our year right there. That was the year we were going to do it, and sure enough.
3: Randall sometimes. Cunningham,
8: right? Yes, yes. Randall Honey, Randy Moss. I mean, we had everything going. Oh and gosh. just for some reason, it didn't go that day.
4: Ken, as a guy Roy who's won a court. Stanley Cup, uh and, and made a paycheck playing in the NHL and pro hockey, um, do you see it differently? Do you watch this Canucks team and go, They've been the better team in the last four games? The turnaround is underway, or is it very simple like a sports fan and you check the standings and you go, they need to pick up two points?
8: No, you know what, I, I do watch hockey a little bit differently. I don't watch it uh I'm not just cheering for just the Canucks, right? I I watch the game a little bit differently, but that's just because. Um, But I do notice a a difference, and you can see the time that they've put in. They've had some time. They they didn't have it at the beginning of the year, and now they've had some time to sit down and take a breath and and have a couple of practices and and work on some things that they think that they need to work on. Um, It's not as noticeable uh, now as it was four games ago. That they were—it looked like to me they were just very loose, and they were trying so hard to to make things right that it, it just didn't go right. It was wrong. Like There was just too many too many long passes, too many too many low percentage plays. Right, they were just trying too hard. And and honestly, the last three games against uh, Calgary, I thought they played very well. Um, unfortunately, Markstrom's on the other side, and uh, you know they they just weren't able to score. And it was such a a good time in that third game. Besser comes back and scores right before the time ends in the third. And unfortunately, there's still 30 seconds left on a power play that they got to finish off. And and four on three is, is, is a tough one to stop.
3: No, a hundred percent. So, I mean, it's. I think the encouraging thing is the fact that this team is actually, you know, from an overall stand, compete. Like they're not getting blown out anymore, right? They're not hemorrhaging goals like they were. They've tightened things up in their own end. We've seen, you know, better efforts. And you know, moral victories don't count for a whole lot, but. You know, there's an opportunity to still kind of win this series if they can pick up the two points tonight against the Calgary Flames. Ken Priestley with us. Ken, I wanted to, to dive in. You you not only have you played in the NHL, you know, you, you kind of saw hockey overseas, you saw it in the minors, you kind of saw it from all different facets, but you've also been a coach as well, and you've coached minor hockey for years. Elliot Friedman's got his latest 31 Thoughts podcast and also with Jeff Merrick, but also the 31 Thoughts column, but kind of discusses what Merrick was kind of getting into uh, in this latest 31 Thoughts podcast, talking about the future of minor hockey and what might be happening uh, out east in the, in the, in the greater Toronto Age Hockey League, where there is talk that Sam Gagne and John Tavares, who played for uh, minor hockey team, uh, the Toronto Marlboros, They've got a huge history. Jason Spezza, uh, the Hugh, you know, both Quinn and Jack Hughes played there. Connor McDavid, so a ton of rock stars coming through. But possibly that they would take over or be on the board for this minor hockey association here. To see, there's some thoughts about maybe other former players getting involved more in minor hockey with the big business it is where do you see the state of minor hockey nowadays? And, you know, there's some stories, man, parents paying an extra ten to $15,000 to guarantee kids ice time that we hear, you know, in Southern Ontario. Like, do you hear those nightmare stories out here?
8: Uh, you hear them on the radio. You hear them on the rumors, right? I, I've never been witness to that. Um, so no one's bribed you. Nobody
3: said, hey, listen, can you play my kid on the top line and give them the power play minutes. And I'll give you here's five grand.
8: I'd be coaching minor hockey full time.
6: <laughs> <laughs> fair,
4: <laughs> fair. Screw the two by fours. Yeah. Right.
8: Forget the lumber part of things, but uh, <laughs> no, my, you know what? Minor hockey has been, has been trying to change and has been changing for a long time. It's just now that you're seeing names mentioned that, that, that players are getting involved in. And first off, it was junior teams, right? And I think uh, one of the first players that I ever played with Stu Barnes, I think he was part of Tri-Cities for a while there. I'm not 100% Mm -hmm. sure if he's still there, but they started getting involved in old junior teams that they played for. And it was just a way that they were investing their money and and getting back uh, into the game. After, because maybe they didn't, you know, maybe they weren't sure what they were going to do once they were finished their career. So this was a way to stay involved in hockey in in some capacity. But minor hockey has been changing in the Lower Mainland for a while with with the the academies and uh, and, and major midget, major bantams and all these things. You're getting so many more opportunities for the elite player, as they call them. Um, to go and play and, and show off their skills and I think it's 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 starting to affect the just the minor hockey programs because they're taking so many players away from those programs that that it's almost uh, it, it's, it's very limited to what uh, like South Delta minor for instance is not a huge association it's not small but it's not huge but if you start taking, the cream of the crop off of every division you'll start to see a more of a house league mentality which not so bad honestly sport in general for me if you're putting your kids in sport whether it be soccer softball hockey baseball whatever it is I think sports is excellent for young kids I I really do I think it builds so much stuff so much character so much you know, confidence that uh, that it only is going to benefit you going forward in life, in school, in life, all those things. But um, there's money to be made in sport, no question about it. And uh, you don't see these associations or you don't see these programs popping up because they're just wanting to give back time. And, um, you know, every parent, including myself at one time, wanted the best for your kids. There's no question about it. And 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 you want your kid to be given every opportunity. Unfortunately, sometimes a second mortgage is a really tough thing to swallow when you're maybe not the cream of the crop, but um you think that uh your son or daughter is.
4: Yeah, and Ken here's I I I won't give out any names, but I was in a conversation within the last three or four years with an academy and getting a better feel for all of this. And I was shocked that, you know, they had expected a certain amount of numbers to be coming to come play with them. They hadn't reached that yet, but they were quite comfortable that they would because they were still going to be open. in some of the bigger academies in the greater Vancouver area were about to have their cuts that weekend. And I'm saying, you're telling me that kids who are told they're not good enough to play for club X Mom and dad will shell out $25,000 just to play for the next club and be in that league. And that's where I wonder if I know it's money to be made, but I know they do it with soccer. Like maybe the academies aren't necessary until you're you're 10 or 11 and play house hockey and just play with friends. Because I don't think you're going to lose it if you're not playing in an academy and you're already 10 years old. You're good enough. You're good enough to play for as long as you want.
8: Yeah I, I believe that if you're a good enough player playing in any league any any team growing up that if if a, if if you are good enough a scout will find you I believe that I don't uh, there's enough knowledge in in hockey uh that's not in an academy or not in a major bidget or major bantam program that if you're a player uh someone will will reach out or at least you hope someone will reach out as a coach and say hey you know this this young man here is a, is a fantastic player. How do we get him noticed? Maybe he just can't. His parents can't afford something, or they have multiple children and, and they want to be able to give equal opportunities to to each of their kids, and they just can't afford to just put all into to to one of them. Um, you know, sports again, as I said, it's it's a stepping stone for a lot of different things, and um, unfortunately, in my sort of uh, experiences uh, the way that people scout now like when I was scouted you were put on a protected list of I think it was 60 players I might be wrong it might be 30 players and then, then you couldn't move so the Victoria, or the Victoria Cougars protected me and uh, and then at uh, at 15 I went to a training a rookie camp in Tawasin of all places um, and then from that rookie camp you go to main camp and then main camp you know you you, you get put where you get put um, but now there's, I, I think some scouts, these tournaments are so big. These tournaments are so strong that uh, every single team in the in the tournament has at least one or two players, you would think. And that's where they're finding players now. So the, the travel for a scout is, is lesser in some ways. Because all they're doing is gearing themselves up for what tournament they're going to go to. I mean, there's, there's a ton of tournaments in Alberta and Ontario that I think you could probably see every single player in, uh, in North America there. And, um, whereas before you had to go to, you know, Prince George, you had to go to Spuzzum. You had to go to the you had to go to Abbotsford. You had to go to all these local little tournaments that had five teams playing, hopefully to find that one gem. And, um, it's a different world now. The, the hockey is, is there's money driven in all the way from peewee, I think. And uh, everybody has these big starry eyes about my kids going to play for the Canucks one day and, and by all means have those starry eyes. But uh, reality is uh, it, it, it's probably not going to happen before it's going to happen.
3: Can appreciate this, man. Nice to catch up. Uh I, I think you hit the nail on the head, man. Money. Um I've talked my, my grandmother's ninety years old and I said, What's the what's the biggest difference that you've seen in your lifetime? And and her answer to me was wealth. You know, we I mean, go back to a time when she was a kid and nobody had anything now. It's multiple cars in every driveway and the big pools yeah. and the big house and, and we've seen this trickle down effect really in the last you know, in this generation, particularly, and how it's impacted youth sports, right? You know, the the rise yeah, of the academies and specialized training, and, and
8: all of it. Yeah, but... A hockey stick costs you three hundred and fifty bucks now. Well, that's it, right? Yeah, I mean, you something? know, I was I, yeah.
3: I was excited about a red and white Titan, uh, you know, the Wayne Gretzky hey. stick when I was a kid, right? And and that was you know, and that was a big purchase for maybe twenty bucks at the time. Uh... Yeah, the
8: first time my dad ever bought me sticks, he bought me a dozen red and white Titans, and I think it cost him under a hundred bucks. So uh, right it was, it, yeah we didn't want to go to the store every Saturday because they broke so quickly. Yes, they but, did. Uh, oh my God, I think my,
3: my tight. I think my first Titan lasted like three games, and I cried. Oh my God, I went into the boards. The stick broke. Yeah. I was devastated. I sobbed on the bench with <laughs> my because I, I, I we didn't go and buy a dozen sticks, man. I was playing Adam hockey at the time, and I'm like my Gretzky stick's broken.
4: Yeah, that's so, the worst. Sure. Break a stick that's and warm up because you don't. Only the rich guys had two sticks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ken.
8: Yeah, no worries, guys. Take it easy. All right. There's uh, Ken
3: Priestley uh, from Dunbar Lumber, uh, Mr. Fix. And by the way, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street and Ladner, uh, or Buda Street in Vancouver, or check him out online at DunbarLumber.com. James, it's
4: a, it, sorry, but it's amazing some of the texts that have come in just in that five-minute conversation. Someone saying, hey, man, I can tell you from one of the clubs I was at in Vancouver that a coach made up to $15,000 by making sure kids were on teams. It has become oh. such crazy business. And uh, maybe you and I just can't relate to it, but I cannot even fathom. I mean, your kids play sports. My daughter did. I cannot even fathom putting that much money towards someone when you know the percentages. Like if you can get a scholarship, great. But if your kid's a player in whatever sport and they're really good, trust me. As a guy who does tapes for scholarships and works with recruiters, they will be found. The money is just nuts.
3: 650-650, uh, the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Uh, we'll get to some of your thoughts. A lot of you uh, with some thoughts on this. A lot of you with some thoughts on your favorite sports movies. A lot of you are absolutely upset that we didn't include Field of Dreams in my top five list. We'll get to all of it next here on this game day. Canucks Flames right here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. <laughs>
0: more of the starting lineup with James Cebulski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650.
3: All right, 750. Um, Lots of people jumping in here on the Dunbar Lumber Text Line at 650-650. James Cebulski, Perry Solkowski uh, kicking in. Where do you want to dive in here, Perry? Do you want to jump in on the minor hockey status or do you want to dive in on favorite movies here, buddy?
4: Well, there's a couple. Someone just said Slater and Mission said Mystery Alaska is a great hockey movie. So that's both. Those you guys know, got paid to play hockey, and some coaches get paid to coach. I mean, listen. It's it's when we have a conversation. I'll get to the movie in a second. In a second, but when we have a conversation about sports, it has changed so much, and it's just gone are the days of, of just pure athletes. A, a, a friend of mine who I, I won't still is very involved in high level hockey and was a, a scout in the NHL has a Stanley cup ring. He used to come and scout in the BC hockey league. And, you know, I'd go watch games with them and we would, we would be catching up. And at one point I said to him, I go, you know, should you not rather than looking at me and us having a conversation about what's going on, be watching the games. And he goes, I am, but he goes, you'll be, I'll be honest with you. It doesn't take that long. He goes, it's not that tough to find kids and watch kids, even at that level that have an incredible passion to play the game. Yes, they have to have the skill. They can't be shy. But he goes to see that passion is easy. You go back to a clip that we played of Travis Green and Hoaglander. Man, he's having fun. He just loves to play. For parents to think that paying upwards of fifteen dollars or $25,000 is going to create a drive or a passion for your kid, I just think that's wrong. Like If they're playing just house hockey like like Ken was saying, and you just see they love to play, can't get on the ice enough, and then you look at if you can afford that opportunity, but someone text in, it's harmful to the development of the future of sports if it's all just about the money, and I agree.
3: Well, you know, you look at some parents that elect for private school um, for their kids, and, and I think some look at, you know, the idea of an academy is kind of going that route, right, and, you know, they get the physical activity, they get the they get the opportunity to get some high performance training and coaching, and you know, does it does it go anywhere? Hey, you know, I'll, I'll say this: like I, Vic Ardenaz, who uh, for some of you who've ever been to the Roxy, Vic, who was like the legendary doorman there, you know. Vic put both his kids in the Delta Hockey Academy, and his one son is playing, I believe it's at New Hampshire now, but he got himself a D1 scholarship, and I think his daughter's there thriving as well. And You know, he swears uh, by, you know, the experience that his kids had because it's obviously worked to the benefit, right? I mean, you got... Well, is one son who's playing an NCAA scholarship right now. And his and his yeah. daughter, it sounds like she's trending that way. And I, I certainly don't want to speak for Vic, but that's, you know, there's the positives in terms of the experience and seeing the growth that their kids had. Right. But you do wonder for all the positive stories, how many are there that, you know, just chasing that dream um, and that hope. Right. And and how many kids like, you know, Ken kind of alluded to like, that kids kind of get burned out. Right. Just having too much at that age. Like you really have to love something to do something that much. Right.
4: Yeah, that that's part of it, right? And and if you have a I can understand parents doing whatever they can, but understand they have the passion because, you know, James, I coached enough sports to see when kids get to a certain age, they just don't care anymore, right? They're doing it because their friends are doing it, that's fine. They eventually will seed themselves out. And if if you can if you can do it and if a scholarship is your goal and you can get it and you get it down to the states and that scholarship has dollars attached to it that might be very well six figures on big schools then that's a win. And if they look back and go, man, those are the greatest times of my life, that's great. But to think because your son or daughter got cut from a high-level team, the best thing is to spend money and get them on the other team just so they can play against them. I think sometimes it's just uh, it's poor direction. And I see it with younger parents going, man, when I was there, maybe I was too involved too. But uh, from the outside looking in, you just think it's become, it's become such, such big business.
3: Uh, your Canucks commute is coming up in just a matter of moments. Uh, we'll check to uh, we'll head to Calgary, check in with Haley uh, Silvan, who covers the flames for the Athletic. Uh, by the way, a uh, shout out to Mystery Alaska. You know what? Not the best hockey movie, but my tennis buddy, Cameron Bancroft, was in that movie as well. Didn't paint the rosiest picture about Russell Crowe, I would say. But uh, you know, what about
4: the- Miracle the- on Ice?
3: You know, some people, lo- they, some, there's some people who put that in the top movie. But you know what? Here, let's let's say this: we're up against the clock. Let's get into it in the eight o'clock hour. We'll revisit our favorite movies of all time. But I wouldn't put I wouldn't put Miracle ahead of Slapshot for my favorite hockey movie. But we'll get to that in the eight o'clock hour. Your Canucks' commute's next here on Sportsnet six fifty.
0: They're not coffee drinkers, but they still keep it right in the mornings. We have a lot
2: more in us. I so think um, we have our good looks, but still not. Uh, like the lo- a lot of long shift in the offensive zone, I feel like. So, but I know what we're capable of. Uh, we're talking about it before every game. So I think just trying to find it as soon as possible.
0: The Canuck Commute on the starting lineup.
3: Hour number three here on this Wednesday morning. It is game day with the Canucks and Flames, round number four of this four-game series. Uh, this hour of the starting lineup is a presentation of Surrey Honda. Visit Nasir and the gang located at 152nd and Fraser Highway, Surrey Honda, where you'll find quality and mm-hmm. community. James Cebulski, Perry Solkowski kicking it with you, and there's uh, Elias Petterson on uh, knowing that the lotto line can be better and... When they are clicking on all gears, man, they are in that conversation. Look, they're not the perfection line like we see out of Boston, but they're in the conversation of being one of the better lines in the National Hockey League, one of the best lines in hockey when they're clicking. I just don't know if we've seen that enough yet this year. And and the funny thing is, is maybe the weakest link of that line last year or without question the weakest link of that line, has been arguably the best portion of that line this year, and that's Brock Besser, who's in the discussion right now and chasing or flirting with the Rocket Richard Trophy with 11 goals already on the campaign.
4: Thank you for clarifying that that PD clip was not a promo for the show. As I hear him say, uh, we've got a lot more in us, but we still have our good looks. And I thought, well, thought that was nice of him to say something about our show. Your, your point is well made, but let people be aware for the last year, you and I have argued about Brock Besser. And you had hit me with the, who is Brock Besser? Is he a 30-goals guy we saw in the rookie year? I was going, he's becoming a better hockey player. And in a way, James, I wonder if we can take this microcosm of people have been texting in about, you know, realize how tough the, tough the competition is for the Canucks. In a way, are we seeing a better Brock Besser? Because he was floundering a bit last year. Couldn't find a line to play on sometimes in the playoffs going, Brock, you're not scoring, but how are you helping? And he still was learning the game, the 200-foot game, more responsible defensively. He's healthier now, and I wonder if the struggles we're seeing with Petey, when, yeah, we've got a lot more in him. The struggles, in a sense, we are seeing with J.T. Miller. Although he's playing the expectations for J.T. Miller from himself, and I think from this fan base, were greater. And I believe we're seeing the step backwards right now in hopes that we propel to these guys going, we will be better for what we are going through now. Petey, the lotto line, they're seeing the best demon that the other team has to offer, and those demon understand what their tendencies are now because they're seeing them for the fourth time tonight against Calgary. They'll be better for it, but you're right. Brock Best has been the, been the best player, the most consistent player, I think, on this hockey team all year long, and he's doing it at both ends of the ice.
3: Well, the the, the shot seems to be there, right? But then even with the shot that seems to be seemingly back, from a power play standpoint, why is Brock still parked in front of the net? Like, why is yeah. he still in that bumper spot? You know, if you want to tweak a power play that's kind of been misfiring, why not throw Brock in that spot where JT Miller is right now and let him release that shot? I mean, the release seems to be back from that rookie campaign pair. That's where I would say if you want to make a tweak, flip flop that bumper spot, put JT in front. He likes to throw in the sandpaper park him in front. He actually did a nice job creating that screen that, on that tying goal with seconds to spare in that third period that forced the overtime, right? Why not put Brock in that shooting role? If that shot is back, then let him release the beast.
4: How far do we have to go before Quinn Hughes to remember the argument that we would have and here in Vancouver when Alex Edler was the top of the pyramid on the power play and he would always look off Brock Besser and there would be actual uh, audio that the Canucks would shoot amongst themselves, and it would play. And best like, pass me the puck, like pass me the puck. And then you thought, now he's got two options. You go one way to Petey, you go the other way to Besser. You're fine, and and you're right. It's surprising that they went away from that. And I think J.T. Miller has more muck, is bigger in front of the net. Unfortunately, you could grab people and go, hey, quickly set up the Canucks power play. And if you were said, you're Miller, you're Besser. Everyone would know exactly from a fan, okay, this is where I'm going. They need to mix it up a little bit more and, and get it going. It's been better of the last four or five games than it was to start the year. But I agree with you. Uh, shuffle it up a little bit. Put Bresser back there for the one-timer. He said without even being asked, listen, I'm healthier, and it's starting to show. And uh, I think there's, there's a lot of people that wondered about Brock Besser. Besser for Dumba, Besser for Dumba, let's do it. Right now, Brock Besser for the, for the money he's getting paid looks like he's a pretty good deal for the Vancouver
3: Canucks. At this point in time, yeah, you've got one more season. I mean, he's on pace for a 30 plus goal campaign in 56 games, which is pretty remarkable to see what he's doing on the flip side, you know, JT Miller's numbers, you know, down a bit, not not substantially, but down a bit from what he was averaging um going back to you know, last season where he was just over a point a game. Elias Petterson, though, you know, for as much as we've looked at JT Miller, man, I just want to see more from Petey. And I don't think that's wrong to say that we watched we watched the body language and the slump, but you know, you look at the offensive production, you look at the conversation, and when we talk about Petterson in this market, he is often thrown into that sort of discussion with, you know, whether it's fair or not, and I don't think it's there right now. But the McDavid's and the Matthews and the McDavid's, or sorry, the the McKinnons, the Crosby's, the, this sort of you know elite franchise cornerstone player, and I think he has done some moment He has had moments where, yeah, we've we've watched and go, man, this is the guy, this is the chosen one, right? And it's it almost feels like we're in a scene out of the movie The Matrix where Neo goes and talks to the Oracle. And it's like, you know what? Yeah, you're not the one, right? And and, and is this the case right now where Pedersen's numbers, like his offensive production on a points-per-game basis right now, pair is down significantly compared to last year. He was just a shade under a point per game. Right now, he's about .68 points per game this season. Now, is that going to change at some point this year? He's normally a quicker starter Look, we've seen a third of the season. I think the year that Petey's having is the year that Petey's having. You know what I mean? Like, there's enough of a body of work Mm -hmm. to say, okay, like this is kind of what we're getting this year.
4: Well, I I think you take any team that's floundering and you look at their stars, you're going to be able to correlate the fact that when the star wasn't playing well, they weren't winning. So I think the numbers are skewed a bit because of how poorly they played. Uh, I, I will let our listeners know this. I mean, it's a strange year. No one gets to go into the locker room to talk to these guys. All you have is you get to hear from from the Zoom press conference. And, and and watching yesterday and listening to the guys, and we've only been able to play you the odd clips you hear with Chris Wall in the sports update. Uh, yesterday morning, I wondered if this Canucks team was jumping on the plane to go to Calgary to play today with, with a whole bunch more confidence than they had when they arrived back from Toronto on that road trip that was devastating out east. And to that end... I was surprised, even with the answers with Petey, there's a little more energy in his voice. Quinn Hughes saying, yeah, the power play needs to be better, and this is where I think we can get it. So I do think they jump on the plane with a little more confidence, and I think he will find moments and get that back. They're a confident team, but they can't do anything. Travis Green saying it's early in the season. No, it's not, man. You're a third of the way through, and you've had your struggles, and every superstar is going to have their struggles, but it's when you get through it. And how long is that slump? Bo horvat has been through it again this year. Hopefully the goal of the other night busts him out of it, but you don't want to see that trend where, oh, he can't put anything up for seven or eight games. You were hoping you were going to see Bo busting through like he did against St. Louis and in the playoff bubble. But I do think we forget sometimes that the majority of this group is young and are going to take a step backwards before they go forwards. Let's hope they came out of the gate rather than starting and everyone busting out of the starting blocks. They actually stood there and went a step back and now they'll propel forward.
3: You know, and, and they're doing it tonight against a Calgary team that has really kind of had Vancouver's number over the last, not just this season, but the last couple of years here, pair. I mean, the Flames have won four of their last five. So they're playing well right now as a team. I think Jacob Markstrom masks a lot of deficiencies up front for this team overall. But you know, they picked up at least a point in 10 of the last 12 meetings with the Vancouver Canucks. They've gone 8-2-2. Two, and two. Only two regulation losses against the Canucks in the last 12 meetings head-to-head. You know, that's that's pretty consistent gobbling up points. If the Canucks are serious about trying to get back into this thing, that, that trend has to come to an end here. The Canucks need to pick up points and the, they have to prevent the Flames from getting a loser point or two points for that matter, like they've done in two of the three so far in this meeting. Let's bring in uh, Haley Sylvian from The Athletic who joins us here uh, this morning who covers the Calgary Flames. Haley, good morning.
7: Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me.
3: Thanks for joining us. Give us give us a sense, like, just watching the Flames against the Canucks these three games, boy, it sure feels like Jacob Markstrom covers up for maybe a lot of, dare I say, flaws for this team in front of him.
7: Yeah, definitely. I, I, and, I mean, I think when you just look at this Flames team through this first quarter of the season, um, you know, I asked Milan Lucic how he would assess the team's play, and he said they're kind of like uh, Jekyll and Hyde, where their good is really good, but it just hasn't been there a lot. And their bad is, 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 I mean, as you can expect, it's not great. So there's um, certainly things that Jacob Markstrom has been able to, you know, kind of cover up with really excellent goaltending. And, and as I'm sure you guys have seen watching from a Canucks lens, I mean, the Canucks were probably the better team in the first two games. Um, they ended up, I, at least the first two games or this four game stretch, excuse me, not the first two to start the season. But, you know, I thought the Flames were, you know, flat in the first game here last week. And then the second game, obviously the Canucks won. And then the other night was a bit more of a mixed bag in the sense of, you know, really good period, kind of a little bit of an iffy period. And um, I mean, definitely Jacob Markstrom has been probably the reason why the Flames are 4-1 and against the Canucks right now. Um, he's stopped 165 of 173 shots, um, only eight goals against. And he's just, I mean, again, I'm sure you guys know, watching him play with the Canucks, but he's just been, you know, really incredible, and he's stolen some games for the Flames and and definitely kept them in some games where they've started really slow and only had two or three shots on goal in the first period and, you know, taken 15 shots from the opponent. So he's he's been excellent to start the year.
4: Haley, who is taking the heat in Calgary? Markstrom taking the applause for keeping the team in it. Uh, You mentioned you (laughs) talked to to Milan, who's actually played really well in the last couple of weeks for them after kind of being a guy where maybe the fan base in Calgary thought they would get more. Johnny Goudreau actually off to a good start. Is there someone like here in Vancouver where we talk, uh, JT Miller's got to be better, Pedersen's got to be better. Is there someone that's taking some of the heat to going? we need you to be better now, we're closing in on a third of the season? Yeah, it's
7: a good question, and I don't know if it's, right now the situation is so much of we need a specific player to be better i think the big thing is that the flames as a whole just need to be better in terms of and it sounds so cliche but you know playing a full 60 minutes i mean they've started slow in, in multiple games they've or they've started really well in the first and then taken the second period off there's been entire games where they've just seen, seemed seem to be emotionally checked out so i think that's kind of the big the big one for them is just stringing together consistent efforts on a period by period and night by night basis. That's definitely been the biggest part. And, you know, having that heart and that emotion in the game. And, you know, in terms of the heat from that, it's a tough one without being in that locker room. Right. Is that a leadership problem? Is that a coaching problem? Is that, you know, a complacency problem? It's really hard to put your finger on why a team has those kind of issues, Um, certainly early on in the season. But it's not a new thing for the Calgary Flames either. I know that was, you know, one of the big talking points in last season and seasons before that. But I guess if you were to kind of pinpoint um, some players, I do think that secondary scoring and their depth was supposed to be A strength of the Calgary Flames at least on paper heading into this season you know Bradtree Living made a number of moves to try to bolster the team's depth and make them more dangerous to play against and you know three of their new depth signings haven't scored a goal and uh, Josh Levo is the only one who has uh, two assists so uh, Josh Levo has two assists Dominic Simone has zero points zero goals and uh, Joachim Nordstrom has 0.0 goals so I think you know they're kind of newcomers have struggled to find a place in the lineup um, and they haven't really been producing and I mean their fourth line hasn't been producing much and, and the third line was was kind of rough to start the season and, and they had a couple of really great games when they got Lucic, Manji and, and Michael Backlund together. Uh, Backlund's been now day-to-day with a lower body injury so they've kind of had to shuffle things a bit there but I would say if there is something that needs to be better, it would be their depth scoring because the Flames' best players have certainly been their best players. And, and you mentioned them in Markstrom, Johnny Goudreau, Lyslin, Holmes, Sean Monahan, Matthew Kachuk has you know, not been producing at the same kind of rate we would expect, but he's still been fine. So I think the, the heat would come more and in the, in the depth scoring because that's kind of been a bit flat.
3: Haley Sylvian from the Athletic uh, Covers of Calgary Flames with us here this morning on Sportsnet 650. How about the resurgence of Milan Lucic? And, you know, I get that the the cap hit will always, I don't know if you'll ever get the the production or the value out of that, but man, he, he just seems to have kind of, dare I say, a, a, is it a fountain of youth, I might say, gingerly, with the way he's kind of responded in Calgary. Like he's,
7: he's already got four goals this year. Yeah, you know what, it, it's, this is my first year in Calgary, and it's interesting, you know, coming into the the first couple of weeks. You know, Milan certainly started really slow, and I and I know that that was something people were saying, like, "Oh no, like Milan, you know, he's." I don't. It sounds bad, but they're like, "Yeah, he's maybe like one of those old cars where it takes him like a little bit to get going." Uh, yeah, you got to so let the car warm up outside good. on a cold yeah. Calgary day, right? Yeah, exactly. Get the automatic car starter, get it going, so then when you're ready to go out for wherever you're going in the snowstorm, you're all good to go. Um, so he certainly started a bit slower, but he's he looked pretty good, and I think he takes a lot of heat and a lot of criticism. And, you know, I, I did a story early on in the year about the issues with the third and fourth line, the issues with the bottom six, and I found that even though Lucic wasn't scoring, he was actually the best player in the bottom six in terms of his defensive game. So whereas most players in the bottom six and those lines in the bottom six were getting caved in a lot, Lucic was the only one with a positive defensive impact on the team. So I thought that was really notable. And then now we've kind of seen this, this wave of, of good play and good goal scoring. He has, like you said, he has four goals and he, they, uh, I, you know, I think it depends on what happens with Michael Backlund here, but we could see him back on that backlin and Mangiapane line who was, you know, that was the best line last week for the Calgary Flames. They had, I believe, 11 points in three games, including one against Vancouver. They were they were, they're were pretty excellent. Um, or we could see him back with Sam Bennett and Dylan Dubé, which was a really great line in the playoffs. So, for all the criticism Lucic gets, um, you know, the contract is... It is what it is. Um, if we compare his effort to his contract, you know, we're probably never going to have a positive conversation about it. But I think for you know, for what he brings to the table on the ice and off the ice. Um, you know, I think I've been pretty impressed with, with Lucic so far, and everyone speaks very highly to to what he brings to the room as well in, in terms of his leadership and just setting a good example for some of the younger players in Calgary.
4: Yeah, there's a whole list of teams where you could take the one player where the contract of the production just doesn't work out. Haley, you were covering the Ottawa Senators. It's got to be strange to move to a new city-covered team when you can't actually talk face-to-face to to the players, but answer me this, better winter, Ottawa winter or Calgary winter?
7: Ooh, Calgary winter for sure. I think um, Ottawa, I I think it's because it's, like, drier in Calgary. It gets really cold, like, but when there's days I think it was, you know, my app said that it felt like minus 45. I was like, I'm just not going to go outside. (laughs) So I don't have to experience that kind of cold. Like, I'll just stay in my condo for the day. Um, mind you, like the dog has to go out, but so we'll do that, but we'll just all bundle up and uh but Ottawa winters will really um like the cold sticks to you and it gets really windy and that walk in Canada from the media parking lot into the Canadian Tire Center for anyone who's done it, um, it's just terrible. You never warm up and you're just cold for the entire game. That'd it's kind of a wasteland
3: awesome. out there, Haley. Like uh, it's you know, cold. <laughs> Even the parking lot, Even like, not only is the arena in the middle of nowhere, even the parking parking lot feels like it's about a half-hour walk to get into the... Seriously, yeah. Yeah, And when it's
7: cold, it's just the worst. So I would just be sitting in the press box with, like, a parka and scarf. Very professional. There
3: you go,
4: Perry. The
7: SkyTrain
3: isn't that bad here locally.
4: (laughs) No. No, exactly. Well, see, in Edmonton in my days... We didn't have to walk that far. I'm thinking, you guys in Ottawa, didn't they give you a parking pass that was a little closer to the rink, or were you treated like, well, way back there, and you got the old days. Walking, that kind the of old way? days. You had to walk <laughs>
3: far, didn't you? Like Haley, kind of had to have a yeah. walk, like across the street, didn't you?
7: Yeah, yeah. It's not. It wasn't close. Like the there was the parking lots right at the the rink, which is kind of the VIP lot, and then the media lot is across the street. Um, but like the the way that you have to walk. Out of the parking lot because it's all fenced in. So you got to walk out of the fenced area, then you got to walk to the lights, and then you have to walk around to the media entrance. And, you know, and, in retrospect, like it's not that terrible, but when it's cold and windy um, and snowy and you're in the middle of nowhere in Kanata, it's, it's not great. <laughs> Saddle dome parking situation is much better. <laughs> Way better. I'll just say that. <laughs>
3: Haley, thanks for this. Nice to catch up. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. And uh, and, and you know what? Uh, keep the heat on in that condo of yours, okay? <laughs> yeah,
7: thank you so much, guys.
3: All right. There, uh, thanks, there's man. Haley uh, Sylvian from the Athletic uh, weighing in on uh, on the Flames. You know, I'll, I'll say this, Pear, and I understand the logic from a Canucks standpoint, but the Canucks explored every possible opportunity to do away with Louis Erickson's contract. And I think there was an opportunity had there, there been an appeal with Edmonton at the time. Does it simply flip-flop? You know, you want Louis Erickson to go to Edmonton, take Milan Lucic here. And I think I remember Milan even, you know, I don't think he would have poo-pooed that idea uh, about coming here to to come and play here for his hometown team. Uh, I think the Canucks kind of looked at it and said, you know what, that's another year, a term at that $6 million AAV you know what? We'll we'll stick with Louis. It's you know the devil we know and the lesser of evils. But when you kind of look at, look, I don't think either either player is going to live up to what the term of that contract is. But when you look at what Lucic offers for a team that's kind of chased that sort of team toughness, that sort of policeman, a guy who can bang and crash, like. Lucic still shows up out there and provides that physical presence out. Like, look at for Tannen. You know, for Tannen, 6'2", 200-plus pounds, along the wall, he gets absolutely dropped, by Lucic in that first period on a couple of nights ago. And, you know, Vertanen loses the puck as a result of that hit. Lucic finds himself in front of the net, and with 30 seconds to go in the period, boom, it's in the back of the net. Flames are on the board, and they get some life. And that's all because Milan Lucic facilitates that. I'm not saying he, you know, it's a win-win, but, you know, the idea of the value right now, Louis Erickson, Milan Lucic... I'd say Luch has been the better player by a mile these last couple of seasons.
4: There's three contracts out West that are, are comparable, right, and, and have always been in the conversation. Milan Lucic, Louis Erickson, and James Neal. You know, the, the Lucic for Neal trade early on last year, Neal scoring everything he's shooting at the net. You go, wow, what a deal that was. And then he's trying to crack a lineup with the Edmonton Oilers. Luch is having a great start, probably the best hockey he's played in the regular season since he put on a Calgary Flames uniform, And, you know, what's been good is we just haven't talked a whole lot about Louis Erickson, and that's probably been bad. Hey, he was good on Saturday night. He was on the ice in the final two minutes. But Louis Erickson, if we can just remove that and go, he is what he is in the fourth line. And if we're not healthy, he will get in. He will be dependable. He found himself in a great spot in the slot on Saturday. I thought, oh, maybe he's going to put one away. Couldn't. Um, but of those three contracts that are comparable out West, I would say right now in Calgary, you're going, thanks, Luch Because as you said, he will do what he can with his fist anytime asked, isn't asked often. And right now he's making some hits and he's putting the puck in the net. So yeah, those three deals, they will always be the same. And I would take probably Luch as most people would right now, other than the alternatives in Neil and Erickson. Because if he's not scoring, He still has that presence that can be of value to the team at some point in the game.
3: All right, 25 minutes after 8 o'clock. It is your Canucks commute here on Sportsnet 650. 650, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line as well. We'll continue the conversation. A lot of people chiming in with their thoughts. We've also been going down memory lane on the 25th anniversary this week of Happy Gilmore, your favorite sports movie of all time. Give us yours. We'll share ours. It's all still ahead right here. It's a game day here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.
0: He may not be right, but he says it with confidence anyway. I
8: need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen.
0: Seaball says on Sportsnet 650.
3: 831 here on this. Wednesday morning, it is game day. Canucks and Flames, game number four of this four-game series. Uh, pre-game show starts at 5, uh, puck drop at 7 o'clock tonight here on your home in the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm James Cebalski. He's Perry Selkowski. And uh, a reminder that this hour, the starting lineup is a presentation of our good friends over at Surrey Honda. Visit Surrey Honda. Go check out Nasir and the gang located at 152nd and Fraser Highway where you'll find quality and and community at Surrey Honda. Well, Pear, yesterday, how about this little video tribute from Adam Sandler to mark the 25th anniversary of Happy
4: Gilmore?
0: Okay, it's been 25 years since I've done this.
4: Let's see what happens. I'm scared. Shooter McGavin, this is for you. And I'm not lying to you. That is bad. And that went pretty well. You dead, Shooter. (laughs) <laughs>
3: Perry, he kind of nailed it right off the tee, didn't he?
4: He crushed it. <laughs> like anybody who has watched that movie has taken the golf club, has run up to see if you can create the momentum and hit it. But I don't know if that's the first take for Adam Sadler. But when you watch that video that he put out yesterday, like, unless he's using a little bit of sound effects, he absolutely just roped that baby.
3: Absolutely crushed and as, as we mentioned, man, a, a sign that we're all getting older is Happy Gilmore turned 25. It's crazy how time flies. To this day, I still refer to lines from that movie when talking to buddies. Like
4: this one I you share tru- with my sister. You could trouble me for a warm glass of shut the hell up. Now you will go to sleep or I will put you to sleep. My sister
3: hears that from me at least once every two months.
4: Or how about this one?
5: You're in big
0: trouble, though, pal. I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast.
4: You eat pieces of sh- for breakfast?
3: No. <laughs> and then there's the timeless.
5: The price is wrong, bitch.
3: You know, uh, Happy Gilmore was filmed here locally at Swanee Set in Pitt Meadows and ultimately became a uh, cult favorite. I also believe there's a uh, shout-out to Castle Fun Park in that as well. I was actually at an event where Mario Lemieux and Ty Domi were in this VIP room hanging out together. And in comes comedian Joe Flaherty of SCTV fame and also the Happy Gilmore film. He says hi to Mario, and and Joe's got this disheveled tuxedo, and Domi looks at him, actually confused, and and looks at me and says, who the hell's this guy? And after I said, well, it's Joe Flaherty from SCTV, he he looks at me dumbfounded like, who? So I simply reenacted this scene for him. You suck,
0: you jackass.
3: And quickly Ty Domi figured out who that was. So in honor of Happy's twenty fifth, I give you my five favorite sports movies of all time, okay? At number five. I'm going Rocky three. Now part of me wanted to include Bull Durham in this, but and I get that look, this isn't the Oscar winner of the of the franchise. But as a wrestling fan, it's hard to ignore the film that introduced the world to Thunderlips, better known as Hulk Hogan. And then there's Mr. T who before he became must-watch TV on the A-team in this household, he was one badass named Clever
0: Lang. Get out of my face. Don't need nothing you got no more. Don't need no hair has been messing up my corner. And you better get that bad look off your face before I knock it off. Love that line.
3: It also gives middle every middle-aged dude listening right now the greatest guitar riff ever to work out, right? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Let's go for a run. Let's go let's go pump some iron. Let's do it. Tell me you're not bobbing your head right now.
4: So No, listen, I, I'm doing push-ups, one-handed <laughs> push-up push-ups.
3: <laughs> At that, exactly. You just feel like you're that much stronger when you hear that song. At number four, I'm going with Happy Gilmore. Uh, some will probably refer to Caddyshack or Tin Cup as the better golf movie, but, you know, personally, I'd rather play in the Waterbury Open. Hey, you should play in the Waterbury
0: Open tomorrow.
3: Yeah. Yeah, all right. I'll see you guys there. <laughs> At number three, Slapshot. Still crazy that one of Hollywood's most iconic actors and leading men is in that starring role in that movie. Paul Newman as Reg Dunlop, and he nails it. Although, it's the Hanson brothers and goaltender Denny Lemieux that steal the show.
0: What is high sticking?
3: High sticking happens when uh, the guy takes the stick, you know, and he go like that. You know, you don't do that.
1: You don't do that?
6: Oh, no, never, never. Why not? Against the rules. You know, you're stupid when you do that. Just some English pig with no but brain at all, a... you know.
3: <laughs> it also taught us the value of respecting the national anthem. I run a clean game here. I have any trouble,
0: I'll suspend you. I'm looking at a f-
3: song! See? Simple as that. Baseball movies, I think when it comes to Hollywood, baseball movies are the best, right? I mean, so many good ones to pick from. Bull Durham, The Natural, but I'm going with the 1989 comedy. Willie Mays Hayes, Rick Wild Thing Vaughn, it's Major League. Vaughn into the windup in his first offering.
1: Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed.
3: And just remember, it is very bad to drink Joe Boo's rum. Which brings me to number one. It's a hoops film for me. No, it's not Hoosiers. It's another Wesley Snipes film at that. Hustling on the courts. I can hear Jimmy. It also inspired me to go to Sizzler the first time I had a, an assignment to cover in California, and it's White Man Can't Jump.
0: Oh, man, shut your anorexic malnutrition tapeworm having overdose Dick Gregory Bahamian diet drinking ass up. Leave me alone. Shout out to the insanely gorgeous Rosie Perez in
3: that as well. The ball scenes were great. Culturally, it nailed it for that period in the early 90s. Director Ron Shelton probably had better success with Bull Durham but give me this street ball classic as my all-time favorite sports movie. Happy Anniversary, Happy Gilmore and that's my top 5 there pair.
4: Yeah, I know it's great and and we're going to get to some of these people so many texting on the Dunbar Lumber text line. We appreciate that. Um listen, for me, I'm not going to go through a top 5. The best movie ever made about sports is Rocky. You can take your Rocky 3. I think Creed has been really good too. Huh? That series, but I stay with the original um Told the story before in Philadelphia, going for a run. It had to get to the library, wanted to make sure you could run up those steps. As I was doing it, I ran into Scotty Rintoul, who was there running as well. You just have to do it. But there's so many great movies. Someone had texted in that said, Goal is the best sports movie ever. I have never watched it uh, and, and kind of said, what is it? And they they just said it's kind of the pursuit of dreams through through soccer, I, I think what we have found in media and, and not big, you know, multi-million dollar productions. Happy Gilmore, by the way, shot in Swanee's set. First time you go to Swanny set, you go, oh, Happy Gilmore. First time you drive to Whistler, there's the part three, Happy Gilmore. That movie was made for a $12 million budget, grossed $42 million in the theater. But James, as I'd say, is this we celebrate the 25 years. Uh, you just go, that is, in certain generations, a conversation and lines from a movie uh, that guys have had in their back pocket for 25 years. But to me, Rocky's the best sports movie that's ever been made.
3: Uh, a couple of other submissions uh, lots of them coming in over the course of the morning at 6.50 6.50 on the Dunbar Lumber text line Uh, some love for Indian horse Uh, somebody texting in saying Indian horse worth a mention great hockey film about a residential school boys uh, struggling to enter uh, Canadian hockey you know I have that has been on my PVR for months and I haven't got around to watching it yet but I've heard nothing about uh, nothing but good things about both the book and the actual movie as well a lot of people mad that we don't neither of us have field of dreams on our list man didn't do it for me as a baseball movie.
4: Yeah. Uh, you know, I look at Field of Dreams as just uh, the story, the cinematography. You know, sports was the backdrop. By the way, Major League Baseball is going to, uh, to Idaho and playing a game there in August. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's a good movie. I just don't think of it as a sports movie for some reason. It's, it's not there for me. It's not there for me at all. I didn't have Caddyshack in my top five. I think that's fantastic. And a lot of people have said, and I agree with it, um, draft day. I mean, say what you want about Kevin Costner. By the way, he's excellent in Yellowstone. Watch that Mm -hmm. if you want. Told you. But I thought draft day. Like, get rid of of the, the romantic scene, which was garbage in draft day. But I honestly think what they conveyed as far as finding out about potential draft picks, how far they dig into it, and then trying to make the deals, was was there's some reality to that movie? I thought Draft Day was a great football movie.
3: Uh, pizza guy going with his list: Air Bud number one, Space Jam two, Longest Yard three, Water Boy four, Million Dollar Arm five. Air Bud at number one. Ooh, Space Jam underrated. I like Space Jam, but Air Bud is your number one sports movie? I don't know.
4: No, you can't go there. Glenn thinks Sandlot. I don't think you can go in there um as a sports movie there's just a lot of good ones uh chris is saying guys warrior with tom hardy is oh, awesome yeah. a ufc type movie i haven't seen that
3: uh it you know what highly acclaimed you know bob mckenzie was the one who re- really recommended that to me a few years ago i remember um but yeah um tom, what, what movie has tom hardy done that's bad uh, Sean Fitzgerald from the Athletic chimed in on this. Um he got he's got Rudy at 1, Major League 2, Any Given Sunday 3, a league of their own great baseball movie at number 4 and then Men with Brooms, the curling movie with uh, oh, Leslie Nielsen. Uh, yeah.
4: Have you seen that?
3: I haven't seen No, I have I've only seen like a I've seen a couple of minutes. I haven't watched the entire thing.
4: What he didn't want to put Cool Running in? Like it was, remember the Jamaican bobsled movie? Hey, I'll tell you what movie was underrated when you look at it, it was the Eddie the Eagle the story, right? Yes. That That's not a bad flick. It's an airplane flick. But, I mean, mm-hmm. I was in the bar partying with Eddie the Eagle, so there's my, my attachment. But the Eddie Eagle story wasn't bad that that came out, you know? There's... You can't see it in the Olympics anymore. Back in 88 in Calgary, you're making bobsledders. I mean, you didn't have the standard, so you saw these athletes get in. But that wasn't a bad flick. Dodgeball Uh, getting a lot of love, too. That's full of laughs.
3: Yeah. Uh, League of the Rome, man. Tom Hanks, underrated Tom Hanks movie. Uh, Gina Davis, just an outstanding flick. Rudy, I feel like, man, I would normally have jumped with Rudy in my top five for sure. But, man, Joe Montana. He kind of ruined it for me, man, a couple of years ago at the JCC Sports Dinner, which, by the way, is coming up in just a couple of weeks on so March 6th. Magic Johnson uh, joining us virtually this year. Um, but that, Rudy, I mean, Montana shared the story when he was in town here. For anybody that was in attendance that heard it, man, Montana was a freshman on that team when Rudy was there for that final season. Joe basically said if, if the guys who put Rudy on in their shoulders at the end of the football game, had they known that this is what would have it, it would have turned into, they never would have done it. He basically painted Daniel Rudiger as one giant pain in the ass.
4: Yeah, but that ruined it for you. If I don't know that story and you told me that, you can't watch Rudy Without going, put him in the game. Oh, they I know. Put him in the game,
3: right? And that was Montana. He was like, nobody, there was nobody chanting for him. He said, you know, nobody knew who he was. It was a joke. He said, that's a, bitter, said, that, that's a no- bitter
4: Hall of Famer telling you that story. A bitter Hall of Famer. You not do that. It's <laughs> like telling you who's winning the bachelor win. don't tell me that. Let it is funny. It is, it is funny,
3: right? Cuz Joe's got no reason to have an axe to grind unless the guy was that big a pain in the ass. Like Joe's go- Joe's in the conversation for the greatest of all time, right? Like, you know, Brady's fantastic and all, but Montana deserves discussion, right? 4-0 in Super Bowls. Guy was just as cool as it got. You know, as long as he stayed healthy, you had a shot to win any game with Joe Montana. So there's no reason for him to have an axe to grind, but man, he buried rudy
4: yeah and, and you know what i gotta do a shout out to chris who's stuck in traffic chris with his daughter he said bend it like beckham chris my friend movie. hundreds of times i watched that with my daughter we did a skit on tv about it you are so right that is a great movie bend it like beckham deserves to be in the consideration forgot about that one
3: Greg Balick uh, on the other side of the glass he'll love this one as Dex uh, chiming in with Moneyball or Miracle. Uh, yeah. Moneyball was all right. How did it take this long to get somebody to say Moneyball? That's well, way up there is on it my but list. like in, amongst baseball movies like you'd put would you put Moneyball ahead of A League of Their Own, The Natural, Bull Durham, Major League? No, I wouldn't. It's a very well-written script Aaron Sorkin yeah. helped write it and it it did get yeah. some accolades
4: so I I think it's sure. up there. I think it deserves some respect at least. A lot of people with Rush Formula One racing, which is great too. Yeah,
3: very good. King,
4: you know, and the first person with Kingpin, which come on. Oh, there's a Kingpin few. There's a, there, You know Patrick, what? There's right?
3: been a few kingpins that have chimed in. I'll say this: it's it's not one like it doesn't hold up the line in, in today in 2021. But that scene where Bill Murray's being interviewed by the ESPN reporter and she says, "What about that yes. paternity suit?" Oh, that woman's a stone faced liar. I pulled out way more. yes probably get fired for just saying that but man oh my god i took a knee laughing at that so good.
4: 25 years for happy gilmore and there's been some beauties ever since that was made our thanks to adam sandler to get us on this run it's been great
3: uh, it is game day, Canucks and Flames. Pre-game show starts at 5 here on Sportsnet 650. Puck drop at 7 o'clock. The Scott Rintoul Show coming your way at the top of the clock. What a guest dropping by. James Paxson, the big maple from Ladner, uh, freshly signed with the Seattle Mariners. He'll join Scotty coming up. And some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul Show next right here. It is game day on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.
0: Starting lineup with James sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650.
3: Deep from the natural, man. That home run, the walk-off, turns yeah. the ball into, oh, just great, Bl- blasts all the lights out. Such a good movie.
4: <laughs> There's so many good movies, Blindside, coming in, uh, we are Marshall is another great movie. You you how about, to make how about a this list. One? It's so subjective.
3: Pear, Days Which of one? Thunder. Somebody said that we 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 didn't y- mention
4: it. Yes. All. Yeah. A, there's a just gr- there's too many good ones.
3: A great right? a great it's- cover of Guns and Roses uh, doing Knocking on Heaven's Door in that soundtrack. Cold trickle. Uh, not a bad movie. Basically, the only thing I would say about Days <laughs> of Thunder, it was basically Top Gun on the ground, right?
4: Yeah, but it it was funny. Uh, I love your response, and thank you, everybody. the The text lines just hopping. We can't get back to everyone. But someone who suggested the replacements, and you reminded him, and I completely forgot. Uh, Kathy Ireland was the field goal kicker, one time sports. Oh yeah, and, supermodel. and like, yes. like,
3: and like supermodel edition. Kathy Ireland, right? Like, right at the apex of her SI, you know, swimsuit. Oh, yeah. covers. Like, yeah, yeah. Like Prime, real estate, Kathy Ireland. Yeah.
4: Are you old enough to remember that Don, That Disney movie, Gus the Donkey? He was a oh. field goal kicker? No.
3: No, I don't think I ever saw Gus the Donkey.
4: <laughs> and someone ends it appropriately with Rocky 1, which is where I say this conversation always has to end. It was the first Perry, and you know, the best. As far people, as that,
3: people that saw that movie in the theater will tell you about you know, and think about this, you know, it's one thing to cheer at a theater at a cool scene, like Avengers end game or whatever, but people were standing in the aisles. Like I wasn't old enough to go and see that in the theaters, but people that went to see that they'll tell you stories about people standing and cheering in the aisles with they, they treated yeah. that fight with Apollo as like, it was the real deal.
4: Yeah, it was like, you just didn't think about, Oh, okay. They're not actually hitting each other. It, it, You know, you watch it now, it gets a little crazy. But, no, you see that in the theater. Um, It was incredible. Thanks to everybody. got to remind everybody in rental. James Paxson, newest member of the Seattle Mariners, will join Scotty at at 9.35, 10.35. He's got Tim McAuliffe on there, Darren Millard. Golden Knights losing the final minute to a game where Owen Byram was very good. So, uh, Millard will join Scotty. That's ahead on his show coming up after we're done. The Tooth Fairy, Dwayne Johnson. (laughs) That's your last submission. Hey, I
3: watched Young Rock last night. It was pretty good. Uh, The the Dwayne Johnson. uh, Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. Oh my god! Like they kind of nail some of the casting. Like the guy who plays the Iron Sheik is like just. Perfect, the way he looks. Um, All right, we got to get out of here. And, yes, for those of you that were pointing out that Milan Lucic still has another year on the contract compared to Louis, yes, we get it, and that's why the Canucks stayed far away on making any sort of possible deal. But I would say he would be far more productive right now than what Louis Erickson would offer on a nightly basis for the Vancouver Canucks. Talk to you Thursday. The Scott Rintoul show is next right here on this game day edition of the starting lineup on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.